by Cracky. Today on the program, what if they had a wrestling war and nobody tried to win it? The AEW ratings are dropping. WWE is opening a chain of discount wrestler stores, and we're going to make fun of everybody here today. To join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the world's largest retailer of wrestling-related audio, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again, where our prices are insane. <laughs> a throwback to the lost episode. <laughs> you bastard. I thought you were fucking with me or I thought I, I thought it was fucking up again. You're fucking with me. I said too many fucks right at the start of the program for the YouTube people, didn't I? Well, bleep <laughs> them out. We'll see. Look at here. If the people, if the people only knew. We are recording this program now on Saturday after trying on Friday for over an hour and getting about 10 minutes of usable audio because for some reason that we believe we have troubleshotted by this point, there was audio issues on, on the Skype machine and we were, it was already, we were already running late. And then, as I'd mentioned in the what we tried to record yesterday, it, it 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 was a sign from the podcast gods. I think we didn't do it yesterday because at the time we were trying to record to get the program out to the people was simultaneous with when my mother-in-law Stacey's mom was having actually having the open heart surgery, and. So I was distracted anyway, because I'm a professional worrier. I get that from Mama Cornette. I think I was more worried than she was. She's having the operation of Stacy's mom, and I'm the worried one. But I, I sometimes, Brian, I worry about not worrying about the things I should be worrying about. So I, I keep everything covered. But anyway, so we couldn't get this thing recorded, and finally we just said, fuck it. We won't do it live. We'll do it Saturday. And and so far, we're going to cross our fingers that uh, all this works out. This may be the lost episode. They'll put it in a time capsule and somebody will hear it in 50 or 100 years or whatever. You people are going to miss. Speak to me just so I know you're there. Everyone's going to miss the 10 minutes we did about Crazy Eddie on the lost episode. You know, and I don't even remember how we got into that. And, and Crazy Eddie may may unfortunately not make the cut today. Um, but uh, anyway, so, but the positive thing is that I can now report to the to the people that the heart surgery went uh, excellently, and the doctor said that she came through everything with flying colors. And today is the first day she can have visitors. Stace is going to be reporting on that, but. Um, so everything went great. So now I'm in a better mood. Also, I got the chance, as we'll talk about later on, to see something on television I actually liked. So, uh, we're in a better mood today. We're positive. We got our fingers crossed by cracky. We're going to record this program. 
That's as long right. as you, as I can hear you. Hello? As long <laughs> as you can do that. Yes. Yes. It just, every once in a while, just, I'm still here just in case. Cause I'm still, I'm, I'm fucking uh, shell shocked now from this thing. <clears throat> anyway. Um, and uh, I want to apologize, start of the program real quick. Merchandise update. We, I did not make my goal of shipping 200 packages this week. I almost got there. Not just about 40 short, uh, but we had a lot of things going on. I lost one of my shipping days with the airport run, but we're going to make up for it this coming week. And I'm kicking some ass on these and a lot of figures are going out this week. I'm saying at least 300 figures going out this week. I uh, appreciate everybody's patience, but we do uh, on the positive part of things, 900 plus orders have been fulfilled and around about a thousand to go. So we're about halfway there. And I think I mentioned on what's the last program we did. What is this show? The experience? This is the experience. The last show was the drive. God, I'm shell shocked. Um, on the drive through, I mentioned that uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand, apparently because of COVID regulations, unless it's an overnight express package, they're not uh, accepting that first class mail at this point but i've got these a few of these packages on hold and i'm waiting for the all clear from the post office and also brian have you checked out the big auction over at heritage have you seen my beautiful cards on display there on the link that you can easily go to at jimcornet.com i have not gone there but i've been hearing these fascinating updates day to day week by week about the beautiful cards that you indeed have the the gorgeous, the shiny, they are just, they are just, I'll tell you what. Uh, what did Tracy Smothers used to say? Prettier than a speckled pup or prettier than a brand new Dodge truck with mud flaps. Um, my Wrestling All-Stars 1982 and 1983 trading card sets, the highly collectible, sought-after Wrestling All-Stars cards that have been in the vault for 40 years are now on auction over at Heritage Auctions. And if... I don't want to mention what the bidding is up to. And these are the, now, honestly, not only are they from my personal collection, but also feature some of my photography and they are, uh, have never been sold anywhere. Cause I didn't even buy them by the way, good old Norman Kitzer. He didn't pay well, but he gave you a lot of comps. So, uh, if you want to see the pictures, the ones that have been graded, and or place a bid. I don't want to say, as I said, what the bidding is up to because I don't want to scare anybody off. But for these cards of this high grade and this magnitude, it's still within the realm of a, a great deal here so far as the bidding has progressed. Go to jimcornet.com and click on the banner on the homepage and it'll take you straight to the page at Heritage Auctions where you can see them or get more information or bid or whatever the case may be. You know, I actually was just talking to Sheldon Goldberg about the cards not too long ago, and he told me that in the late 90s, Norm Keitzer was still really mad. And I can understand why, for various reasons, but specifically <laughs> with the cards, apparently a shipment of the cards were sent to Vince McMahon, and he returned them because they featured stars outside of WWF. And this is in 83. This is before, you know, he officially went to war with everyone, but he rejected those cards, and that's why Norman had even more than he anticipated. Yeah, see, and I'll tell you what, if Vince had had the foresight to keep these cards with the value they have now, he'd be a multi-billionaire instead of just in the single billions. 
he'd have 12 or 13 billion dollars now um yeah well that was the way because he was already that's the year that he did the first magazine right because he he did his first or was it 82? Well, no, 82, he bought the company, but no one knew it. But by 83, he right. started making the magazine moves because the first thing he did was he tried to get Jeff Walton to run the magazine. He yeah. had tried to get Bill after it got turned down, tried to get George Napolitano. That ended up in a lawsuit. And then <laughs> he got um, Jeff Walton to come along and Jeff tried to get Theo Errett to come, but Vince wanted Theo Errett to move to Connecticut and Theo Errett refused. And Jeff Walton actually didn't last too long. And he had been working with Norm Keitzer before then. And then Vince just... You know, he was going to go out and do his own thing and not use any of the other photographers, but he went to everyone he knew first, like Aptor and George, to try to get them, and then he just went at it on his own until he was desperate, and then he let other photographers shoot at ringside again. But then with the cards, um, he, Norm had been doing the WWWF programs for the major arenas, uh, Philly Spectrum, uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, Boston, etc., for years at that point, and I would I would think that I would assume that he believed that, you know, Vince would like to sell these cards at the, you know, at the matches or whatever. But did he ever did, would Vince have ever said, just do a set of cards of just my guys or I'm not going to sell them beforehand? Or did he just did he just assume that Norman was going to do a 36 set of or 36 card set of 36 guys from the WWF. Did he even have 36 guys at that point? I think Norman just assumed that his relationship with Vince Sr. would continue. You know, he was doing all the programs. He was doing a lot of yeah. stuff with them. And it didn't. Vince wanted his own programs, his own magazines, his own everything. And I think it was 1985, he ended up doing cards with Tops, who has always been the biggest trading card company and will be up until a couple of years when they lose baseball. But he went to Tops, and Tops did the 85 set. They did the set in 87. And then uh, after that, he went to a different card company. But it was all about just going off on your own. And a guy like Norm Keitzer, who had done a lot of business with Vince McMahon for years, was out in the cold. Hey, by 1985, he could do a 36-card set of WWF superstars. In 1982, yeah. can you imagine what the bottom 10 would have looked like? <laughs> the, maybe the Conquistadors or Jose Luis Rivera? Um, anyway, speaking Steve of, King. of Jose, Steve King, right there, a classic, classic card that would be sought after today if it had sharp corners and proper centering. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of, uh, Jose Luis Rivera, as no one was, and as a transition to get to this next plug that we actually have no, nothing in common with what we were talking about, uh, the house of kayfabe podcast. I make a rare appearance elsewhere outside the perimeter of our circle of trust here on the cornet programming for the cult of cornet um but the reason for it is because our good friend stephen p new and his co-host brian don't call me trent resner um do the house of kayfabe podcast at houseofkfabe.com and that show uh, begins airing, drops, as they say, on Monday, November the 8th, this coming Monday. So we just wanted to remind everybody. And and Stephen and I have a nice conversation, except whenever Brian interrupts us. He He's the other Brian. Like the other, like the other white meat. I want, what? White meat? You know, like those commercials, the other white meat. Well, Brian Reznor, Stephen's co-host, 
is the other Brian. Well, I don't know who that is, but I will say that I'm looking forward to this. I think this is finally the opportunity for Stephen P. New to really hold you to the line, just really question you about all the awful things you do and have done. What? No, that's not what this is. What? No, it's a very cordial conversation amongst good friends and hale and hearty fellows. A lot of positivity, a lot of jocularity. This was the perfect situation for an ambush. It was on Skype. All I'd have to do is hang up on him. What is it? Can't be a fucking like an intervention <laughs> or something. Just, fuck you. Click. Boom. <laughs> These people, oh, he fucking said this about me on the internet. Fucking click. Boom. Internet's gone. Have you ever been to an intervention? I've seen him on TV. They've got a fucking series called Intervention. Yeah, me too. I've only seen him on TV. I've never been to one. I've I've never been the subject of one. I've never been invited. I don't know that anybody giving someone an intervention would think that I might add positivity to that particular situation. I think you would. If someone was holding an intervention for, let's say, me, I don't have any problems, but let's say they were, and I walked into the room and I saw you sitting in a chair in a circle with a bunch of people, I would immediately smile. It would immediately make me go, oh, this can't be that bad. There's going to be a few And laughs. then I would immediately say, hey. I've had to come all the way up here to fucking New Jersey to help you get your <laughs> shit together, and it's pissing me the fuck off. Do you realize what the traffic was like on that goddamn New Jersey turnpike and how long <laughs> it took me to get here from that turnpike because you live way out in the woods, all because you can't keep your fucking life together, and all these people are sitting here, meek as toast, not wanting to tell you that you're <laughs> fucking up. They got to call me from Kentucky to come up here and tell you what a weaselly piece of shit you are and how you need to straighten your shit out. I ought to carry you over my shoulder to this fucking rehab facility or fucking whatever the fuck that you need to go to and, and hold you down by the hair until you straighten your shit out. See, this would totally be worth it. This would totally be worth it. And you would also turn me babyface in the middle of this. Everyone yeah, be like, God damn, he's not that yeah. bad. He's up on Brian. He just he just sold our baby for crack. It's not like he did anything that bad. <laughs> Who's this guy? Jesus, I've never seen him before. He's yelling at all of us. Are you the guy screaming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. And here's why, pal. But anyway, fortunately, you don't have to be intervened on. No. How did we get started talking about this? The House of Kayfabe. Oh, well, we're going we're gonna to intervene on that program this week, on Monday, November the 8th, houseofkfabe.com. It, uh, it, it uh, is how you can get there. And I have some serious messages to give out here. If you finish trying to divert this program into nonsense, we've got, I've been trying to keep up with the emails. We've been getting a lot of emails, not only to the show, to the drive-through or the experience here, also on my brand new shiny new website, the contact form that I'm trying to uh, get to everybody's emails just to read them at least. Please don't expect me to answer, but I'm behind on that. And here, did I tell you the rib on the Hotchkiss is fixing this? But when you contact me through the beautiful, shiny new jimcornette.com on the contact form, the contact page there, where it says contact Jim. When I get the emails, it's like in the subject line, it just says Jim Cornette contact form. So I have 
500 emails that all <laughs> come from jimcornett.com to at Jim Cornette contact form is the subject line. So it's like I have 500 identical emails until I read them. So I just start at the top and I keep clicking until Harley needs to take a piss, right? But anyway, I have several emails from some of the listeners, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of these. I just want to recognize some folks. Uh, Juan uh, wrote both you and I and said his grandfather passed away on September 9th, and he was having a hard time with that, as you would expect. And But then the, the one of the recent Code Academy spots came on, and it helped him you know, deal with what he was going through, not only hearing me try to muddle my way through understanding what it was, but you, he says, cringing in the background was the quote. Uh, he, that was one of the, when we talked about sometimes things are set on fire at those meetings and he wanted to attend one of the meetings. But anyway, Juan, we sorry and our condolences on the loss of your grandfather, but hopefully Hopefully we got, do we have code Academy today? We'll see what we can do on. Um, also Parker Parker emailed us and said, I recently graduated from my state's largest university with my bachelor's degree back in December of last year. And now I'm having a hard time deciding on what I'm really supposed to do with my life. He said, he's had some issues with anxiety and depression. Parker you just graduated from your state's largest university with a bachelor's degree. How many people walking around at the mall do you think actually have done that? Parker, you've already outachieved, you know, 80% of the people out there. So have your confidence and it'll work out because you've, you've gone through the hardest part of school, which is graduating, right? So now it's, it's, it's all downhill from, or is it uphill from here, Brian, or which, which, which direction is it from here for Parker? It's all uphill, but without any effort. What I mean is well, there, you, you don't want to walk up the hill according to the laws of Jim Cornette. You want someone to push you up the hill or possibly drive you up the hill, but it's going uphill. Yeah, Parker, that's what you've got to look forward to. Don't be depressed. Here soon you're going to be driven up a hill. <laughs> um, I guess it doesn't work when you phrase it like that. <laughs> yeah, and they'll be driven up a hill. They'll be carrying torches and pitchforks, and there'll be a bag of feathers. Um, Zach from Utica, um, uh, unfortunately lost his best friend from high school. Uh, recently, he was only thirty-six years old. It was complications from diabetes, and again, Zach's been listening to some of the shows and, and got cheered up, but also his friend wasn't much of a wrestling fan, but would just laugh at, at, at some of our stories, laugh with us or at us or in some respect. So Zach, we just wanted to let you know, we got your email and, and our condolences there. Um, Joe from North Carolina and talk about some shit. Listen to this. In January, I was diagnosed with cancer and told I needed a liver transplant. I'm not a heavy drinker, so I didn't even get to enjoy wrecking my old liver before this happened. It was due to a rare autoimmune disease called PSC, and he writes it out and says, good luck pronouncing it. I'm not going to try. Which is normally not detected in folks until they're at least in their 50s. I'm only 37 and apparently he was in such good health before this, he didn't even have a primary care doctor. But now he's facing life-altering surgery. 
uh, doesn't know how he's going to pay for it and how obviously, you know, his body will accept a brand new liver and he's on the uh, list for livers. If anybody's got any extra livers, uh, Joe from North Carolina, write, email us here at the program. And if you've got it in a cooler, I'm just, I'm playing with you, Joe, because you like our program. So you knew you were going to get this, but Anyway, Joe's on chemotherapy. He's waiting for the call for a new liver, and he listens to the podcast almost every day, which makes him miss, you know, good wrestling that he grew up on. And he's from North Carolina, so he had the best. But anyway, uh, Joe, we're thinking about you. And once again, email us at the program if anybody's got any spare liver. And Nick, also from North Carolina, is something about them Carolina boys. Um, he, he's saying some nice things about us and, you know, verbally filleting us as they say. And then he says, my wife, while she doesn't pay attention to the podcast or your former work on screen, she enjoys the fuck out of your political rants and agrees with every word. With that said, as a partial anniversary gift, cause I'm cheap. Could you wish her a happy one year wedding anniversary as well as give us some marriage advice going forward? Brian, do you know what Nick didn't tell me? I don't know, and I'm afraid of what advice you're about to give him. Or... Well, he didn't tell me what his not wife's name is. <laughs> how, am I, how am I supposed to wish her a happy one-year anniversary to Nick and Mrs. Nick? What is her name? Here's my advice, Nick. Learn her fucking name. You should have had that done after the third or fourth date or the second round of sex. I feel bad I mean, for I, her. Why is he so cheap? Well, it, he's obviously he's so cheap. He's never had anything monogrammed. So, Nick, my marital advice to you is learn her name. And my marital advice to Nick's unnamed wife is to get a divorce. Find a man with some money. Take you out on the town. Treat you right. Not like Nick. What are now? Wait, you're a married man. Why are you flirting with this woman, this unnamed woman? I treat my my wife will never call me cheap. It's the you opposite. treat all your girlfriends good too, right? That's right. Everyone's happy. Everyone's Every in their place, and everyone's happy. I didn't know you were. Are you? I was going to say, are you Amish or Mormon? Which one of <laughs> Which one's allowed to just spread their seed willy nilly everywhere with multiple women? How is God okay with that when God's against abortion for everybody else? Well, but technically when God's okay with just this willy nilly spreading of the, the seed to multiple women under the blessing of holy and vicious matrimony. I believe that's actually the official name for it. Willy nilly. But I think that it was the Mormons that you're speaking of, but I could be wrong, but I believe the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints no longer actually endorses or has anything to do with, Polygamy. I may be wrong though. Pulling what? Polygamy. Oh. Well. Pulling what? I don't know what they're pulling, but apparently there's more than two hands to pull it when you got that going on. Anyway, those people just must be nuts, Brian. They must just be nuts. Well, those are our favorite kind of people, of course. Well, no, those are not our favorite kind of people, but those are our favorite kind of nuts. The nuts you get from our fine friends at nuts.com. And folks, you can get ahead of the holiday gifting season this year with customizable trays and a wide assortment of gifting options. 
because now the folks at nuts.com that you've been ordering from since we've been talking about them with all the candies and dried fruits and snacks and pantry items and baking mixes and pasta and nuts, 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 nuts. Now they're giving, not giving, actually you have to pay for this shit, folks, but they're selling beautiful gift baskets for the holidays. And if you haven't tried nuts.com, now is your chance to check them out and get 10% off the delicious, nutritious, healthy nuts, dried fruit, flowers, grains, and other things delivered straight to your door. 4,000 products to choose from. You'll go nuts at nuts.com. Of course, the white chocolate toffee cashews are all mine and you can't have them. But you can have multiple orders of the raw, organic, roasted, salted, and candied nuts, even chocolate-dipped, and is delivered fresher than the supermarket. And we've talked again about the beautiful gift basket so you can get your mother-in-law off your back or your mouthy neighbor that screams at you from across the fence every time you pop up out of your house for a second. You can't get away from them. Give them a basket of nuts. And once those nuts go in their mouth and they're sucking on your nuts, you'll be satisfied. Right, Brian? Uh, I don't know if I would phrase it that way, but Nuts.com has delicious and nutritious options for everyone, from chocolates to dried fruits to, of course, the chocolate-covered gummy bears, my favorite. There you go. So get them chocolate bears. But regardless of what you do or who you like or don't like, if you give them nuts for Christmas, just say, here, nuts to you. They'll have a smile on their face and you can get rid of them. Folks, if you go to Nuts.com, new Nuts.com customers get 10% off their first order when you text EXPERIENCE to 64000. Again, text the word EXPERIENCE. I shall spell it for you now. E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E to 64000. 10% off your first order from Nuts.com. Send your mother-in-law a package and stick your nuts in her mouth for Christmas this year. What? Terms apply. Available at nuts.com slash terms. You can't end on that note. Mother-in-law optional. (laughs) Haven't you ever wanted to just stick your nuts in your mother-in-law's mouth and tell her to chew on them? I'm I'm very lucky. I have a very good uh, family of in-laws. But well, then you should want to give them some nut fine products from nuts.com and make their holidays. <sighs> Did you hear the big news that was announced somewhere? I've actually somebody tweeted the article, so I don't even know where it was because I've lost that. Um, but Sabu has announced his in-ring retirement. I had not heard that, no. And I I just wanted to recognize that because Sabu's a legendary figure in in the modern day wrestling scene, but I'm wondering when he was going to, when he was going to announce this because he's 57, he's three years younger than me. And I've never done split legged, triple jump, barbed wire rope moonsaults. And he's had a lot of, a lot more damage on his body than I have. So I would think that he was moonsaulting through tables, remember, before they were cutting down tables, before they would do anything to ease it up. Yes. He was just taking real tables that weren't gimmicked, and time after time, until they broke, flinging himself through them. It was brutal. And I've, I, the first time that I saw it, because I've got to admit, when you first saw Sabu and and before injuries, and he was doing, and it was stuff that was, you know, more outrageous 
than anybody else was doing in terms of the athleticism and the flipping and the flying and the, you know, crashing and, um, but the one thing I, he was just breaking the table without anybody being on it. And I never, I, I know it was because he was crazy, but I just wondered why is he mad at the table? What did the table do to him? Um, but anyway, but no, that's the, I don't know. Has he wrestled recently over the past few years? Because I had heard he'd had an injury or some type of surgery a while back. I can't remember the last time I heard I, him working. Obviously there was a pandemic going on and I did hear about but yeah. his girlfriend, unfortunately passed away a few months back. Um, super Melissa, genie. yeah, Melissa Coates, who's spent a lot of time at OVW. What a sweet girl she was. Um, but can I ask you a and, question about yeah. Sabu? I mean, I'm sure this probably wouldn't be fun for him and not what he wanted to do, but if he really did want to continue in the ring and continue in the business, is it crazy to think he could wrestle like his uncle and not do the moonsaults and not do any of that stuff, but go out there and just be a crazy looking guy in a turban stabbing people? Well, see, that's what I was going to say is Sabu. The reason why I was surprised that he announced his retirement now and he's 57 is because I thought that he probably already had quit a few years ago and with the pandemic, as you said, obviously, but you can't, that's one thing that a lot of these guys are going to realize later on. You can't be that person past a certain age and, and Sabu with all his injuries, you know, I probably pressed right up against the boundary of the age. You could still do that last time he was doing it. And, and the Sheik never did that. The Sheik was, could still do the Sheik when he was 60, like he could when he was 40. It was a little bit different appearance, but he's, you know, you still had the aura and the reputation by then, but the guys who do, high flying high risk you know basically just risky stuff like that you've got your your clock is ticking so i you know i would have thought that maybe if he wanted to if sabu wanted to transition into a style like that he would have done it the last several years that he was really actively wrestling on a semi regular basis but maybe he just wanted to be sabu you know, as long as he could, but yeah, the Sheik, you know, in, 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 until pretty much the end, he could do what the Sheik did because it was all about just violence and chaos and the aura that he had and like, and stabbing people and, or bashing them with objects, but in a, not in a cooperative way, like they do in garbage wrestling, but where the whole idea was that he's, trying to start a riot by convincing people that he's fucking pretty much attempting to murder somebody. And it, it worked for 40 years. I saw it live on numerous occasions, grown men running from the sheik. If he fucking did that toward him, jumping over chairs, as a matter of fact, but it, so anyway, I think that's, you know, would wish Sabu the best, but, um, that's what, you know, is going to be the future for a lot of guys whose only concern, and I'm not saying this was Sabu, but I'm saying with the guys today going way farther than he ever did, um, if their only concern is perfecting their high flying, then they better have a transition strategy ready because you, you can't be a high flyer in your fifties. But if you have 
a personality and a, and a a reputation and you've established a style or something that you can continue to do, you can you can be there as long as you want to be. And in terms of legacy, in those early days of ECW under Paul Heyman, before anyone cared about Tommy Dreamer or the Sandman or any of the homegrown talent, the two reasons that tape traders or people like me were excited by ECW were Terry Funk and Sabu. Those were the two reasons. <laughs> and maybe eventually the curiosity to see Shane Douglas curse, because that was a novelty at the time. But it was Sabu and Terry yeah, that, Funk. That's, that's like when you when you first heard, um, oh God, Bob Saget do his stand-up instead of being the <laughs> yeah. jovial fellow on fucking Tool Time or whatever. But yeah, they got a lot of attention. And and if you notice everybody of all of the ECW top guys, you mentioned Sabu and Terry Funk and then what's Shane Douglas going to say, et cetera. Everybody completely different. It's another thing Paul had on the ball is that he didn't have a bunch of guys that looked or acted or spoke or dressed similarly to each other, unless they were obviously together in a fucking group. And you could tell who everybody was and everybody was doing their different thing. Anyway, um, speaking of everyone looking and acting and talking and dressing exactly the same, we're not going to review NXT this week because it wasn't worth it. Gee, Manelli Shelley. Um, I, I, I don't know what they expect to get out of that program now, because if they're going to do that, what if, why don't they just do a developmental television program at the Performance Center and put it on TV in Orlando and Tampa and run some spot shows around there to get the guys some experience and take the national television time they have on the USA Network and attempt to do something with it that might push their main roster talent, which needs all the help that it can possibly get. I mean, is this is this a productive endeavor to give a substandard television show with talent that's so green they're phosphorescent in some cases and put them on national TV for they're ready to be seen in regional syndication? What do you think? I know the positives and the negatives. I mean, the positives are, of course, the money that you're getting from the USA Network to air the show, but the negatives, which are short-term and long-term, like you said, you're exposing a lot of people that shouldn't be exposed to a wide audience to a national television audience right now. Yeah. Not like these people won't be ready. Some of them will be ready in a little bit of time, some of them in a few years, but to put that show the way it is on TV right now, for every Braun Breaker, there is just tons of other people you don't give a shit about because they're not ready. And I don't understand, again, other than the USA Network money, that's a really counterproductive television show at this point. Well, but no, I'm not saying give up the money. I'm saying if if they went to the USA Network and said, hey, we're going to change the program on Tuesday nights. Instead of giving you Grayson Waller, we're going to give you fucking Drew McIntyre or anything. You think they're going to say, oh, God, no. No, I'm talking about bring that block of television time into the main roster fold some kind of way with with guys that are on your main roster that you're not uh, is there anybody on the main roster that they're not utilizing to the fullest well i'm sure there is but um it, it, something because here's the th when when 
OVW was running the developmental program, the attitude from the office was they didn't want us to be on television anywhere except in our territory. To the point where, because Bill Barron's was going to syndicate us at one point for the, you know, the per inquiry spots, the 1-800-BUY-THIS-SHIT, you get a check when somebody calls it up, blah, blah, blah. And they, oh, no, we don't want people to see Randy Orton. We don't want people to see John Cena until they're ready. Well, they were better at that point than half these guys are on NXT now, and they put them on the USA Network on purpose. And so they've completely revised their internal thinking. It does a disservice to a lot of the guys if they're seen before they're ready. Because people in their minds form an opinion of them. I've been watching wrestling fans, smart fans, and regular fans for almost 50 years in person. And I remember what it was like when I was one. When, you know, that's why the territory system helped foster growth of talent. Because whenever a guy would start out in a territory and you saw him when, from when he was a rookie and he was green and he's klutzy, and he couldn't get his shit together because he's 19 years old or whatever. I saw Terry Gordy when he just turned 16, and he was the shits. But when you see guys like that, you form an opinion of them in your mind. So the, the guys that started in a territory, until they left and went away, they never got over. Now there were exceptions that Danny Hodge, he was already, he was Olympic gold medalist. Danny Hodge was never a fucking klutz or not silver medalist. It was never a klutz. And he was the fucking baddest ass in the NCAA. But most Tommy Rich, Tommy Rich, it took him for, they had to shove him over because he had two left feet when he started and he teamed with Tojo. And it was just, he was the baby face that got the shit kicked out of him. But then finally they started using him, but then he went to Atlanta and became the hottest baby face in the business because nobody'd seen him and he'd had five years experience or four or whatever it was. A lot of times the territories, a guy would get started in his home territory or wherever he broke in, and then he would be sent out or go away or get booked somewhere else and come back a couple of years later bigger or with more hair or a different gimmick or grown up in some kind of way. And even then, guys, I mean, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson never drew money in the one territory that they both started in, the Memphis Territory. They worked there many times. They were used well. But if you talk about great money-drawing tag teams in wrestling in, in Memphis, they didn't draw like the Fabs. They didn't, they didn't draw like Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett. Because the people there had seen them since they started in their very first matches, and it just didn't click. But everywhere else, they dwarfed those other teams. And there's similar examples of that. So the point I'm making is, no, we didn't want OVW television to be on national cable TV because it would have done a disservice to the guys that were training. We tried to get international clearances where we get paid some money for it and they didn't want us to do that in the office so they paid us some money for to turn down the deal that we had and we wanted to get on the channel americas the weak stations of the the world for the 
commercial income. They didn't want us to do that because they didn't want the guys to be seen. Okay, so pay us a little extra money. But no, the, Braun Breaker's bulletproof. He's He's got such... It's all about the charisma. There's obviously, there's been guys with as good or better bodies, even though his is great. There's been guys good or better athletes. They've recruited people from the NFL and all kinds of sports. There's been guys that can talk better. But nobody has that package plus the genealogy and the bloodline and just the natural charisma, what he does with it. And the idea that he's already got of wrestling from watching his dad and knowing what to do, because you can see him doing the same things his dad used to do when he was a rookie. So he's almost bulletproof. He's ready to be seen now, although it sure would be great if he'd been somewhere, as we mentioned, you know, working West Texas for a year and a half. Nobody knew he was there. And then he comes in now in a year and a half from now, how good's he going to be? And that's the first time you see him. Nevertheless, it, most most guys aren't bulletproof when they're just starting out and they're green and they're young and whatever. So this is a big show for a lot of these people to be on. And I guess I've read they're trying to the toxic attraction, Mandy Rose and Gigi Allen and Jane Wayne Gacy for the young men. They're going to try to push them as one of the top. <sighs> I mean, the young men, it, it can't you just get on porn tube or whatever if you're that wanting to see attractive women approximately your own age? If you want to see a wrestling program, wasn't the Undisputed Era probably tops with younger guys because they were young guys that were doing cool shit? All this stuff that I saw in wrestling as a kid that made me say, oh, this looks so cool. When you see Roddy Piper and Ric Flair there, you're like, oh, these guys look like they're having the greatest time. I wish I had friends like that. I wish I was their friend. That's one of the things that wrestling loses. One of the things AEW does better than WWE because they let guys talk naturally and be themselves a little bit, good or bad, is that you need relatable heels that you could boo. You need relatable heels sometimes that you end up wanting to be like. You need things that young men find appealing and cool and just. A bunch of people like Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn and people who are just trying to appease whatever thoughts they have who are saying, yeah, we need more young girls. We need more, you know, scantily clad women. I don't know. I don't think it's going to change the numbers of that show at all. I think it may go the opposite way. Well, and here's again, it, there's a track record of female talents getting over as you know, a pinup stars, as they used to say in the old days, but whether it was Missy Hyatt in the 80s, everybody went apeshit over Missy, but she was figured into main events where she was in the yeah. corner with guys, and she was a personality all on her own. She was in the corner with guys figured into the main events, and she was more of an individual. There weren't 20 girls on the roster, so she was special. She stood out. And she was figured into main event angles. And then later on, and obviously Sable and Sonny, because they stood apart from the rest of the roster and they were unique in their own way and pushed in their own for their own unique reasons. But you know, you know what else, too? Um, I mean, you look at Missy. Missy was a really effective promo. 
She was good in every role they gave her as a manager or valet. I think once they tried to make her a commentator without a Southern accent, they kind of lost the plot of what Missy Hyatt yeah. was. But Missy and Sonny, or Tammy, have a lot of similarities in that they were both big wrestling fans before they got involved, and they had instincts. You know, yeah. if you were, were going to send either one of them to ringside for a show you were booking, you know, you always worry because you're worried, but you didn't have to worry as much as sending someone else out there. They had instincts. They kind of knew what to look for and when to, you know, when to do something, when not to do it. I don't know how many of the people, how many of the women today in NXT are being brought into the WWE system grew up as fans and understand what worked and what didn't. Some of them are fans. I mean, Carmella, I just saw a thing with her. Her dad was a wrestler, so obviously there's some kind of background there. But how many of them truly get what works and what doesn't the way a Missy or a Tammy did? Well, and I mean, you could expand that because now it's been so long since they could see by example, you know, the proper things to do and not do and what works and what doesn't that the guys don't really grow up with that knowledge anymore either. But you're right. Yes, the the most of the women that get into the business these days were not lifelong fans like Tammy, like Missy, and Sable wasn't, and that's why she couldn't do anything except stand there. Um, but not just talking about the, the women's talent, etc., the whole idea of the developmental program here again. When you're, when you're thinking that just because you have three hot girls, you're going to draw young guys to watch it again. That's this. I'm I'm even with it enough and not stuck in the past enough to know that this these are not the days of the 1950s when for the raincoat crowd they could go see the scantily clad women wrestlers in the one piece bathing suits get all sweaty with each other. You can turn on the internet or even your goddamn cable and see all you want to see of pretty women doing things you might want to see them do. So then it comes down to. Does the male wrestling fan want to see the girls wrestle? And some they do and some they don't. And I think they're given a little bit too much of it. But I don't believe that just having a, an attractive tag team on the program is going to suddenly make a bunch of younger guys watch the show if they weren't watching it to begin with. And I think the Undisputed Era probably did. Because how, how does it work? thought on that. Because how does it work? Hey, man. Hey, Jim, have you been watching NXT lately? No. Oh, you gotta. You gotta. Adam Cole's Why? not there anymore. They got women. They got the hottest women. They just got hot women. They can't wrestle or anything, but they got hot women. And I mean, no more of the boring Keith Lees or Karrion Crosses or Adam Cole. Kyle O'Reilly will be gone soon. But they got the hottest women and so many lights. It is better lit. I will say that about the program. It's much better. It's, it's, it's easier to see. Unfortunately, it's not even any easier on the eye. Speaking of Kyle O'Reilly, now his contract is going to be up at the end of the year, or the first of next year. Is this what I'm hearing and seeing and reading? I just heard about this yesterday, actually. So this is the first I'm really talking to anyone about this, or I just heard about it. It appears his contract is up. Whether they want to keep him or not, I don't know if it matters. I'm pretty sure I know where he's going to end up. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about the uh, the releases later on. The folks whose employment was pulled away from them for whatever reason. But with, I, I I'm trying to get a grip on this. 
they let Adam Cole go. They let Bobby Fish go. Kyle O'Reilly's contract is up soon. I, I don't. Where is Roddy? Where's Roddy in the in the contract status? Has anybody heard where Roderick Strong's contract is? I expect to see any day now some tweet from some wrestling journalist saying that Roddy Strong's contract is up next week. Every time I've seen him, have I mentioned this? He looks years older since he's in that diamond mine group without his guys. He looks years older. He's got the look on his face like it's a hostage video or he ought to have numbers across his chest. I hope, I hope that his contract is up somewhere in the very near future. And can you imagine that then? I will watch the elite. If I get to see the elite versus the undisputed era, so we get Adam Cole out of that band of nutcases and back with his boys. That, But again, is Vince convinced that the only way to combat AEW is to give them every hardcore wrestling fans wet dream match all at the same time? I don't know if Vince puts that much thought into any of this. I don't know if Vince puts much thought into too much nowadays, but I'm sure the people advising Vince are telling him that he wouldn't lose too much with Roddy because he's a smaller guy and he wouldn't fit in on the main roster with the thoughts and visions of an 80-year-old Vince McMahon. However, I do want to ask you about what you just said. Bobby Fish is already there. Of course, longtime tag team partners with Kyle O'Reilly, Red Dragon before NXT, part of the Undisputed Era in NXT. We don't know what's up with Roddy Strong. Adam Cole's there, and it's some kind of weird relationship with him and the super elite or the elite. Do you think that's where they go, the elite versus the undisputed era? Well, I mean, I think you almost have to, but you you've, you would also have Fish and O'Reilly versus FTR. Holy jumping Jehoshaphat. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, You know, Fish and O'Reilly as a tag team were... Excellent, and on another level for most teams these days. So not just a dream match with FTR, but they could actually, again, be guys that these other teams could learn from if they got in the ring with them. As all four guys against, you know, the Hardly Boys, Twinkle Toes, and they could find some other schlub. Uh, Era versus Elite, that would be interesting. You've got, again... You've got all kinds of different combinations, and it's been proven that anytime somebody goes from one side to the other, basically from WWE to AEW, they're instantly more over to the AEW audience because that audience has seen these guys held down, pissed off, you know, their talent wasted, given goofy gimmicks whatever the case, and they feel like they've finally been sprung from Alcatraz, from Devil's Island, and they, well, Ruby Soho, and they welcome them with open arms over in All Friends Wrestling, where everybody's friendly. But in this case, it would be talented guys that do deserve to be on top, that at least they would be able to welcome. And, and... Again, anybody that leaves and comes to AEW is going to be more over than they were just because the people are going to be so happy and relieved for them that they've been sprung. But also, if you've got guys like that that were a they the the Undisputed Era was the main event group for NXT for what? A couple of years? Yeah, give or take. 
okay, they've got history and credibility with people. And you've got a story of, you could have a story about which, which way is Adam Cole going to go now? Friends on every corner. It's all friends wrestling. And then boom. And now you've actually, you've got a chance. Well, see, I don't know now. I was going to say you could either make the elite baby faces or heels, depending on how they wanted to go with it. But I think the people would cheer the fuck out of the undisputed era. So the other guys have to be heels, except do they want anybody to get more over than them? The, you know, the Hardly boys certainly don't, or elsewise they wouldn't have put FTR in the Federal Witness Protection Program for that year. So, you know, it, it just remains to be seen as to whether the vice presidents want more guys coming in that are more talented and can potentially be more over than they are. See, this, this is going to be interesting also because they ran the roost for quite a while, but now the star it's already started with punk and Danielson, but guys are coming in that are not only better talents, but also more over and, and the VPs ain't used to that shit. So when you had OVW, eventually you had problems with WWE and they paid you money and you got to kind of leave on your own terms. Jody Hamilton had all sorts of problems down in Georgia with WWE. Not that he was running the greatest shop with him and Bill DeMott, but <laughs> eventually he was upset with the way WWE pulled out. Steve Kern, I don't know if he's upset at all, but it was Steve Kern, and then, of course, it all went under Triple H with NXT, and we saw the guys that he championed, the guys that he pushed to the top. Who do you think is the most upset about the relationship with developmental? You? Build the mod or Triple H right now. <laughs> Looking at what happened to your developmental that you ran, could anyone be more upset than Triple H? I I don't see how, honestly. Um, because he had for it's been like what five years, a five year run where he decided, okay, we're gonna be the counter programming to Ring of Honor because the Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor, athletic wrestling, younger guys, the whole nine yards. That was what was had pretty much taken over for after Impact had imploded. And so they said, well, NXT will be our Ring of Honor. And we and they got all the Ring of Honor guys to to stock it. And that became the thing. And unfortunately, like we said when we talked about it when they announced the change being made, I think Triple H went too far trying to be the darling indie promotion with just signing multiple guys that Vince's head would explode if he ever saw him, you know, Gargano. Um, I, I don't know how he's, they must have a long-term no-cut contract. He should have concentrated a little bit more on a variety of guys and find some Odyssey Joneses for Vince and things. And maybe that would have helped him out, but but he did do the most pro wrestling like pro wrestling promotion uh, triple h did for for that period of time and now that's gone and it's it's you know bad 90s wwf with splashes of color you know the other problem that comes to mind talking about all this and we've talked about it the last few weeks but we really need a third well funded promotion because wwe with everything Triple H tried to do in America and in England, did a lot to wipe out the indies. 
But then Tony yeah. Khan kind of finished him off. And I don't even mean that to be like a harsh, like goddamn Tony Khan, but he needed talent too. <laughs> and he signed everybody. So now he's got all these people under contract. WWE has some people and they've released a whole bunch of other people. And again, impacts a joke. All these other companies are a joke. We need a really, we need a real third company that's well-funded because there's too many guys now out of work. And there's too many guys ready for TV that are out of work. AEW has too many guys on their roster that can't even get on TV. Well, and I was about to say there's going to be more guys available when the inevitable happens. I don't know whether it was two-year contracts or three-year contracts or a mixture of the two that Tony signed when he started his venture, but those have to be coming up. Probably some of them already have quietly come up. Uh, but those have to be coming up, have come up, or will be coming up. And he's insane if he keeps all the people that he signed contracts with to start out with two years later when he's picked up all this obviously more major and important talent. That's not being cruel. That's just running a business. Okay, if, if you're goddamn, you know, MGM or Universal or whatever giant movie studio you care to name, and you've got more stars than there are in the heavens, then the more you get, you always had to let some go. It happens in movies that have record companies periodically do their cleaning out of, hey, these guys ain't selling. We've got, yeah. we got the Stones and Zeppelin and the Beatles now. We don't need, you know, the fucking strawberry alarm clock. Go, be free. And a lot of the times those artists do nothing and sometimes those artists go to another label when i was at sony was right after my boss at the time what an idiot he had cut alicia keys and 50 cent because he didn't see much in them and of course clive davis got alicia keys and turned her into a superstar and 50 cent became the biggest rapper for a few years there but that was a great example of two people young artists under contract no one at the label knew what to do with them they thought there was nothing to be done with them they cut them they got other deals and they became superstars. And unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen to most of the people that Tony's going to have to release every once in a while. Because, I mean, we're talking about the people that are on the YouTube shows, if that or whatever, that he's obviously been honorable and kept his commitment to. But gee, many Pete, you know, spare prick at the wedding, screen door on a submarine, unnecessary baggage at this point. And and you got to rotate your talent. Anyway, we'll see what happens, but uh, huh, the more the more Vince giveth, the more Tony will taketh from him. And I'm just, I'm gobsmacked at, uh, and we'll talk about some of the other releases here in a minute. It, I, I mentioned something day before yesterday on the telephone when we talked and you hadn't heard about it. And I wish that we had been recording then when to get your reaction, because you're like, what, what? I live here in New Jersey. I didn't know about this. I told you, have you, have you researched the exploding ring match that o Onita <laughs> had in, in your garden state there yet? Or I have are not you still ignorant of this. I'm still ignorant of this. And for the record, I think us here in Northern New Jersey don't really have too much to do with whatever happens on the fields, wherever this was. I have no idea what happened or where it happened. Okay, Jen, just for the majority of people listening now that don't know what the fuck happened, one of the garbage wrestling promotions paid Atsushi Onita, 
star of the FMW episode of Dark Side of the Ring, the Onita. I knew him as Mr. Onita. To come over to the United States to New Jersey and have an exploding ring match in a field in New Jersey somewhere with one of the garbage deathmatch wrestlers that apparently came out of retirement for this honor because they'd been supposed to have it at some point before. They did have it. Remember a couple of years ago, Brian, the, the last time somebody was stupid enough to pay Onita to come over here and have one of these fucking fiascos, it 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 turned into a six-man. Onita made it go into a six, turn into a six-man and changed the booking or whatever, and they didn't get to have the single match that they had. It was a big drama. Well, this long-awaited singles match between this garbage wrestler and Mr. Onita finally took place, and the garbage wrestler came out of retirement for this honor, to get in the ring with his idol, his hero. And among the things that was done to this fellow, and you're never going to believe this in a million years, Brian, I know you will accuse me of lying. This is completely preposterous what I'm about to say, but I saw a picture of the garbage wrestler, and you'll never believe it. He's fat and bald. Well, that appears to be kind of the look for a lot of the guys who do the, um, trying to think of a word other than garbage wrestling. The garbage wrestling. Yes, I, I, yeah. yes I know. I was being facetious. I was being facetious there. This is a fat, bald garbage guy. What Onita did to him was he hit him in the head with an exploding bat. They set the canvas on fire, I guess, and rolled around in that. And apparently he also had the guy take a bump onto the, they did the boards on the outside of the ring like they did in Japan 20 years ago or whatever, where when you fall on those, the big explosion goes off. And then they shot fireworks off all over the place, and the whole thing was enveloped in a crowd of smoke. A cloud, a crowd of smoke. A cloud of smoke. Guess how many people they drew? I don't know. I just want to say I did look it up. I don't see the crowd attendance here, but it was in Trenton, New Jersey. That is the state capital. That's the state capital? That's the state capital. Well, but it's still New Jersey, so that's like being the nicest guy in prison. How many people, this was on a field in Trenton, the Trenton Thunder Ballpark. So that's a oh, ballpark. It was, it, was, it was actually a real, I thought they just had it in a field like they have the other garbage wrestling up there. According to this article from Wrestling Inc., it was the destiny event for H2O Wrestling. <laughs> Why would they call the wrestling company that at Trenton? The guy was just lit on fire. The name of the company's H2O Wrestling? Ah. Water Wrestling? Uh, it was at the Th Trenton Thunder Ballpark in Trenton, New Jersey. It maybe they should have <laughs> called it Rock Paper Scissors Wrestling. Um, they drew three hundred people for this Ooh. exhibition, and apparently, the fat bald garbage guy was so thrilled that he got to have all this done to him by his idol Onita that it wasn't until at least five or ten minutes after the match was over with that he realized that he was in tremendous pain and had to be transported immediately to the hospital to the burn ward, where he is still there and has been there for at least a week. The burn, he went for 300 people at a fucking ball field in Trenton. And what do you think this guy, the, the hospital, right? 
they've got people who's been in house fires. They've got people who've been in car wrecks, coming to the burn ward, right? They've got children and have had horrible accidents, whatever the case. And here comes this stupid fucking fat guy. And they said, how did you get these burns over such a large percentage of your body, kind sir? And he says, well, me and my friends got together and raised enough money to pay this 62-year-old Japanese guy who used to be a wrestler and then he was a politician, but now he just fucking blows shit up at a fruit and vegetable market to fly over here and blow me the fuck up. That's how it happened. What do you think that hospital said? I don't know. I always wonder what doctors and nurses and hospitals say when some of these wrestlers come in with some of these bizarre injuries. Like, my artery was severed by a fluorescent light tube. What do you, I don't know what they say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I th- it, it, there should come a point, especially during a pandemic, where hospitals are allowed to turn patients away from the emergency room on the basis of you stupid fuck this is your own fault you should have known they are the mama cornet rule well jimmy you should have known should have known what was going to happen my cousin larry started taking karate lessons taekwondo back in the early 70s when all the karate movies started coming out and he actually got a black belt and then he got a pair of nunchucks real nunchucks and he brings them home one day and my mother says larry you're going to split your head open with those. It wasn't a week. And he wasn't even, he got to where he could do them pretty good, but it wasn't a week later and he wasn't even doing them. He went to fucking take them out of his little sports car he had to show a friend of his, his brand new set of nunchucks. And as he pulled it, it got stuck in between the seats and he jerked it and the chain had popped right under the door and hit him right in the head and laid his head open. And there he's fucking leading, he's juiced like fucking Tommy Rich in the Omni, right? And he goes to the screen door of the kitchen and he knocks on the door. He's calling for my mom because he doesn't want to come in and bleed all over the floor, right? But he needs a towel. And she comes around the corner and looks at him drenched in blood and broke out laughing. Just blue snot laughing at him. Ha <laughs> ha, Larry, I told you. <laughs> you should have known better. Then she got him a towel. Is that the same cousin that you said? Was it that he farted on you, then you puked on him? No, that was Richard. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Larry's farts were not that bad. He, it was something to do with a different digestive tract. I don't know. But anyway, so, but yeah, some of these hospitals ought to be able to say, well, you know, we we need to turn you away because you just, we've got a pandemic going on. We got people that need assistance and you just did this to yourself for no good reason on purpose. And you should have known. So here's a Band-Aid and some Mercurochrome. Go figure it out. Anyway, I'll tell you, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, Brian, these days with the advances in modern technology and the way that things have been developed and invented, you can take care of a lot of your medical needs right in your own home. Right in your, my own home you're talking about? Right in, well, anybody's own it. Your own home, my own home, anybody's own home. Unless you're living in a home that someone else's, and then it's not your own home. I'm but even then, home. you could you could do medical care to yourself in someone else's home. I just don't understand. clean up after. What do you mean? But, what can I do? Well, you know, for one thing, we've talked about our bad backs. I had the bad back in August, hurt myself. You've had the bad back. Well, our friends at Home Medics, our brand new sponsors, 
We just talked about them on the drive-thru a few days ago. Our friends at Home Medics have amazing equipment to help you keep your back and your feet in perfect condition and, and feeling better. And if something's annoying you, like body pain and soreness and sore feet or whatever, well, the folks at Home Medics can fix it. Home Medics is a, a, a Detroit family founded Home Medics in 1987. As we mentioned, it was Frank and Beulah Ho. And Home Medics was founded to help make people's lives better. And today they're the established leader in wellness and home health innovations backed by traditional wisdom and modern technology. And they've got an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so they are a brand that you can rely on. They're very, very trustworthy, Brian, the folks at home. And by the way, it's not ho-medics like it's written, because then that would be, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, medical care for people of ill repute. This no. is no, no, no. It would no, be the opposite. It would be the opposite. I think. I think it would be like if the Godfather started a medical service. Home medics would be if he had his hose, being the nurses. Well, well, and and, and there's uh, something to be said for that. We'll explore at a later date because, as as we mentioned, limping ain't easy. But anyway, if your <laughs> back's been bothering you or your feet have been bothering you. They've got the foot massagers. They've got a whole line of massage products. They've got a massage gun with built-in hot and cold technology, a massage cushion for your back that lets you lie down or sit up, depending on what you need. They've got the three-in-one foot massager. It's like a, a spaceship-looking thing with holes that you stick your feet in, and it, it kneads your feet and massages your feet and squeezes your feet, and it's you can heat your feet and vibrate your feet, and sometimes it won't let your feet go until you say the aforementioned approved safe word that you've registered with the folks at Homedics when you get this equipment. You and will be you able get to get your, your feet out of there. No, no, no. You will be able to get your feet in and out of this with ease, and will also massage your feet and make them feel great. Yes, with ease or whatever safe word you want. If, if ease is the safe word you want to register, then that's fine. And also on this massage cushion, when you're massaging your back, boy, howdy, I'll tell you what, you can put it on the floor and lay down. I plugged it into a wall outlet that has one of those dimmer switches on it. So I was able to turn this thing up to the point where it vibrated me. I lost six fillings out of my teeth and and brought some of the nails up out of the floorboards. This thing has some power, boy. It is anyway, a safe vibration. It's a safe vibration. Something like... Well, if you ever saw the movie Earthquake that had sensor around it, the theaters, <laughs> not, where no, you were just, no, oh my God, but just watch it. If you've got anything hanging on the walls, folks, try to take pictures off the walls and put the china away before you plug this thing in. But your back has never felt better. It addresses pain points from head to toe, all these different massagers that they've got at Home Medics. And all you need to do is go to Home Medics, and I'm going to spell this H O. M-E-D-I-C-S, homemedics.com. Whether you're dealing with chronic pain or just looking to help your muscles recover from a workout, there's good news for you because if you go to homemedics.com slash J-C-E and use the promo code J-C-E, you're going to receive a free portable phone sanitizer when you buy $100 or more in massage products, and that's a $60 value that they're just willy-nilly just throwing your way. HomeMedics.com slash JCE. Use the promo code JCE for your free portable phone sanitizer. Now, 
Again, I asked the question I asked the other day. Is this a a free item that is portable and sanitizes phones, or it's a free item that's a sanitizer for portable phones? In other words, is the sanitizer portable, or does the phone need to be portable? Or can you just put both of them anywhere you want them? I don't have any answers to these questions, but they are indeed questions. Yes, there are questions. And questions without answers? Just bring up more questions. <laughs> so, folks, once again, the massagers, they're so powerful, they'll loosen the muscles in your legs and lower back. They'll, they'll disconnect several of them, so you won't have to worry about them anymore. Your right legs now, will be safe with this product. Yes. Yes. You'll never need them again. You won't even need to use them. Oh, Christ. It'll make you feel so good. Boy, I'll tell you what. And this, I'll tell you what, as far as vibrating goes, this will beat the Didolator Mach 3 any day of the week. Anyway, folks, homemedics.com slash JCE, promo code JCE. Tell, tell Frank and Beulah Ho that we sent you. Well, Jim, we just briefly spoke about WWE contracts and rumors going around. And of course, this past week, there have been a lot of stories and there's been a lot of news about wrestlers that have just been released. Well, you know, and also, unbeknownst to the fans listening, we just took a piss break. And during the piss break, I solved their problem with the NXT television program. Would you like to hear that first? You solved the NXT problem during the piss break? Yes. I come up with it. For, I'm going to give it to them for free. Okay. Right now, you've got NXT on Tuesday nights, two hours on the USA Network with a bunch of green guys that nobody knows and probably ain't going to get over because they're too green and they can't do a good television program uh, in the WWE anymore anyway. So why not try this? Why not, since they've got two brands, Raw and SmackDown, make the Tuesday night show there. They, they used to do a show called Wrestling Challenge. We'll make it WWE Challenge. And every week, Raw and SmackDown sends six wrestlers or teams, combination of thereof, and they have six challenge matches, interpromotional matches, Raw versus SmackDown. Well, as a matter of fact, make it an odd number so somebody wins. So five or seven. And then whoever wins the majority of the matches gets to keep the challenge cup until the following week or some shit. And then they can do those matches and promos about those matches and expose their main roster talent against other guys and can and fuel the interspecies rivalry between Raw and SmackDown. I like it. A lot better than NXT. A lot better than Raw and SmackDown, actually. Well, <laughs> I think about it. I was about nailing your balls to a step stool would be better than But anyway, so now all of the wrestlers that they just fired that they could use for this great idea, but they don't have them anymore. Who are those people? Let's talk about this. And again, these wrestlers are from WWE's main roster, as well as NXT, as well as some guys we just really haven't seen. But from the main WWE roster, Keith Bearcat Lee, his fiance Mia Yim, Nia Jax, Karrion Cross, Eva Marie, Lince Dorado, Grand Metallic, Harry Smith, and to me, most surprising, B-Fab were released. And from NXT, Scarlett, the former manager, or I guess once again the manager of Karrion Cross, Ember Moon, Frankie Monet, who you had put over recently on the show, 
<laughs> Jesse Kamea, Katrina Cortez, Jeet Rama, Oni Lorkin, there's a name I know, Trey Baxter, and Zeta Ramir. I'm not sure who that is either. They have been let go as well. Well, you about covered it, so let's move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take these not one at a time because there's some, I, there were several people, obviously, that we have not even seen on television. Z- Zamir Zam, 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 Panzer, Harry Is Smith. We haven't seen Harry Smith ever. Well, but I'm well. No, I've seen Harry Smith on other programming, just not in the WWE. Yeah. But I'm talking about people that never even made television from NXT or that nobody is aware of. But of the recognized names, let's start with Harry Smith. What the fuck is the they? They've got something with this poor kid. Well, he's not a kid now. He's a thirty-something year old adult. But have they not had him under contract multiple times? And basically every time hidden him as much as possible from view. He was under contract. I remember way back and then they debuted him on TV as D.H. Smith. Not exactly a catchy name considering if you could use Davy Boy Smith Jr. or Harry Smith. D.H. Smith didn't really work. It sounded like a bookstore in the United Kingdom. And he was a young guy. And for all that I know about him, and you know I'm not fluent on his entire career, he went to Japan. Learned how to do stuff over there. He got into training to shoot wrestle, I guess will be the lack for lack of a better term. Yeah. He's a legit guy. He's got size. He's got a look. He's got a name that you would think would mean something, especially in the UK. And like you said, they've had him under contract several times, or at least twice that I could think of, and done nothing with him. It makes no sense. I mean, I worked with him in MLW, and as a promo, is he... Mick Foley or CM Punk or whoever's anybody's idea of the greatest promo in the world? No, but my guy, all the things that you just mentioned, he's big, he's in shape. He knows how to shoot. He knows how to work. He's got the bloodline. He's got the, the star quality. And, you know, as probably the biggest shortcoming that I can think of in his game is that he wasn't a great promo and think of that encompasses about three quarters or more of the rest of the roster they've got and they didn't even put him on television or do something with him i don't i don't get it i watched him work he can do amazing shit for a guy that size and at the same time he can take it to the mat and get legitimate and once again, if nothing else, that he's the son of one of the, their biggest stars from the 80s and 90s and has all those tools, that just shocked me. Because I, I can see if, if you, you know, put him out there for six months and, and bleh. But no, he just, I don't even think they were bringing him to the shows. I had only heard about him working dark matches. They must have been real dark because I couldn't see him. Another name on this list, one of the more interesting ones, because we've been talking about him for months and months since he went to the main roster, Keith Lee, the Bearcat. (laughs) Again, the unexplained absence was explained by Keith Lee as complications from COVID, so that you know, put uh, some into speculation that, well, what's he done to piss Vince off? They took him off TV. They won't put him back on. They wouldn't let him tell why until finally 
He did tell why. But the whole thing has been bizarre again going back for the last year. When we first started watching NXT, we said, okay, this guy is great. He can move. He's an athlete. He's got a look. I thought, honestly, his promos were very Frasier Crane-like for his visual appearance. And, he was, you know, he needed to find that get-mad gear, Hulk smash, lose his temper, whatever. He, you know, he needed to take that emotion over the top at some points, he didn't have to be a crazy maniac all the time. But otherwise than that, he's fucking huge. He can perform. He can speak. And people were taken to him. So then they bring him up after the... Was the tennis skirt after the COVID break? No, that was before. That was when they first brought him up. The first oh, time God, anyone had right. seen that's him on Raw, he was in that tennis skirt. Yeah. Oh my God. So before the COVID break, they bring him to the main roster and put him in a tennis skirt. Then the COVID break actually was probably a good thing because people forgot about the tennis skirt. But then he's changing clothes, he's changing music, and then he changed his name. And and then they release him. The they had what they needed to expose. In NXT with Keith Lee, just say, hey, get you a fucking temper and lose control every once in a while when you get pissed off and otherwise you're doing great. But instead, they changed everything and then decided, well, none of that works, so let's fire him. I, I, as a person who has given guys gimmicks or changed guys gimmicks or just booked guys in general, I don't know why any of these things were done. Can't explain it. I can explain it. Please do. You have an 80-year-old demented man with a couple <laughs> of stooges doing what they think will pacify him, and it leads to a bunch of crap, like taking a really talented big guy, which everyone wants, and ruining him time after time after time. And I really hope Bearcat doesn't follow him around like the fucking rooster chant did Terry Taylor. Because it was so <laughs> stupid and so misguided. And Keith Lee and Karrion Cross, more than even Adam Cole, those two guys are the biggest indictment on developmental in 2021. The fact that those two guys were just ruined by Vince McMahon. Ruined, I say. People complain about how I say whip. Um... Let's talk about Karrion Cross and let's group Scarlett Bordeaux in with Karrion Cross like she should be. I again, I I saw that they had released Scarlett on the announcement on the internet before I saw Cross and I thought, "My god, now he's doomed. They fired her. He's not getting her at all." Fortunately, he's not doomed because he's going with her. But again, they everything that I've ever known Vince McMahon to like grand entrances they had it fucking sexy woman they had it badass looking big guy they had it and they changed it all after they did it after they showed it on television and after they recorded the entrance so she could lip sync and the lighting and the whole nine yards I mean, let's face it, the entrance was the best part. 
of the whole thing, but he ain't that bad. Again, when we're judging by the other talents that are currently on the roster and on the shows and et cetera, Karrion Cross was not out of place. Not until they put him in the fucking S&M outfit and, you know, took his girlfriend away and beat him with a part-time legend baby face in a minute and a half, the first time people saw him on Raw, and with some plot to get his win back the next week that didn't happen because Jeff, Jeff Hardy got COVID. And then they just decided, well, we'll just beat him once in a while and let him win once in a while. And there you go. And, and Scarlet disappeared in general. And you know, now somebody has been saying that vaccination status played a part in some of these releases. The rumor is that vaccine status played a part in the Nia Jax release, but that's just a rumor. We well, don't know for sure. and we'll get we'll get to her in a second. But what I was going to say is the only possible explanation that I can come up with without knowing and being in a vacuum here and speculating. And this is speculation. Is there any other reason why you would have let Karrion Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux go unless that they just wouldn't get vaccinated? What, what, but, but then that doesn't explain why they took Scarlett off television long ago and we haven't seen her with Cross. Who did they piss off? What could they have done for them to just say, well, let's just take these two apart, even though they're a real couple and we've already established it. Let's just break these two up. We'll hide her. We want sexy women on our show, but we'll hide her and we'll make him look like an idiot. And the, what what else? I don't understand. That's the only thing I can think of. Is and and again, you know, they're not only a a traveling entertainment company in this country, but they're an international, global traveling company. So yes, if you don't want to get vaccinated, I guess you don't want to work there. It shouldn't be an issue. You want to work there? You want to go on these tours? You want to be in crowds? They've got money tied up in the promotion of these cards and these guys. They can't have people not only out sick with COVID, but also quarantined. So what the fuck? Same thing as you got your kid vaccinated for measles before he gets to go to school. So I have no sympathy whatsoever for anybody that believes this crackpot bullshit from the right-wing lunatics and doesn't want to get vaccinated for their job where they have to be around people. They don't want to think about themselves. Think about the people you got to be around. But other, if that ain't it with Cross and Scarlet, then I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the other thing is they were signed by Triple H. They were kind of the last of the Triple H top people in NXT. And Triple H is a non-entity right now. Who's going to be the person to, to go to bat for them? Bruce Pritchard doesn't believe anything except what he thinks Vince McMahon believes. Johnny Ace has nothing that he brings to the table. He's a talentless executive who's stuck in the wrestling business because that's all he's ever done. He could never be an executive in any other field of entertainment or business. So you have Vince McMahon with a couple of talentless stooges who are trying to appease a demented old man. That was supposed, to be, Triple H. That was supposed to be Triple H's job. Triple H was supposed to be the one holding the old man's hand. Hold on one second. I'm just looking something up. Hold on. 
I'll be right there. D E D there we go. D E M. Oh, demented. Let's see. I'm this is the dictionary of synonyms and antonyms because you've used demented three times already. So I'm going to suggest to you mad, insane, crazy, maniacal, irrational, lunatic, deranged, or frenzied. Nail on the head. We'll just that? use any of those in the future instead of demented. Oh, you're saying don't use demented. You've used demented too many times. I okay. just gave you eight or nine synonyms. Crazy. Maniacal. Mad. Irrational. Lunatic. I like this Irrational. game. Irrational. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yes, we've established. But again, even if Triple H is on the outs at the uh, family Christmas party, that doesn't mean that you fire everybody that, you know, that he hired and why would these people need someone to go to bat for them when they've already been on the television program? You could see what you've got there. It's just, I don't know. Who else was there? Well, we just said the name before Nia Jax. That's Boy, one of the big howdy. ones. So you mean to tell me that it took her vaccination status to, to bring this day about. She was the one a while back on the internet that said that she only trusted God with the safety of her body. Well, apparently she was also trusting God with the safety of all of her opponents' bodies all this time because she wasn't being too careful with them. Um, but, you know, are we supposed to look a gift horse in the mouth? She's gone. I'm not going to quibble about the reasons, but you would, one would think that for just complete lack of performance all this time, that didn't account for anything, but won't get vaccinated. You're done. I can't see her working the Indies, but if she did, she would need a new name. Do you think she goes by the big hole? <laughs> no, just my hole, my hole, my hole. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, my hole will be taking on. Actually, I don't see her working independence. That, I, I mean, don't. That's the question with someone like her, who was a family hire because of her relations to The Rock and has only been in the WWE system that I know of. If she worked indies, I don't know anything about that. I can't see where she goes. I can't see anyone else bringing her in. Can you? Well, I, I, I mean, somebody will always book anybody, but I'm just questioning the amount of tickets that she would sell on any independent show that would make it worth the uh, the investment. I don't know. But the other question would be, if any of these people are being fired for their refusal to get vaccinated, and we don't know for sure, that's just a rumor, is there anyone who's actually a main eventer or in the upper card who's refusing to get vaccinated that's not being punished? I would like to say I would imagine not because I would hope that most everybody's vaccinated and, and not there's not a lot of people nuts on top of the card, but um, that would be interesting to find out. Hmm, possibly some of our stooges out there. I said before, Jim, one of the names or the name that I thought was most surprising on this list, B-Fab from Hit Row. Not that they were the greatest, although I thought she had some potential, but she had just debuted on TV. <laughs> the rumor is she had just signed a main roster contract, and of everyone in Hit Row, maybe I'm wrong, 
She was the one who stood out. She was the one who seemed like a star more than the three other guys. Well, she stood out because there's three guys and one girl. So the girl stands out regardless. That's not saying that she's, you know, Florence Griffith Joyner or, you know, Catherine Hepburn or a standout acting or athletic talent, but she fit the group and they'd been together. And if they're going to, that is the group just now they don't get a girl because the, the group that they're feuding with has the girl Electra Lopez, or did she get released? We didn't hear her name. I don't know what her real name would be. Yeah, I'm not sure. Katrina Cortez was released. That was the woman who wore a mask but had a regular name, right? Ah, there you go. Okay. So no wonder. Well, the C, the, there was no secret about her identity. So they had it. But anyway, B Fab, yes. She apparently will not be Fab anymore. That surprises me too because they just. Couldn't they at least have done a loser leave town match between the two factions and had the one girl beat the other girl? They've already started it. We haven't even really talked about the idea. If it's true that she just signed a main roster contract within the last week and then this happened, what does that tell you? Because do you remember any instances like that where someone got signed within a month to a brand new contract to be in the main roster and all of a sudden they're cut? No, fuck no. In the 90s, we couldn't get rid of people. If not only did, did Vince never want to cut anybody unless it was absolutely necessary or there was some big fucking hoo-ha, you couldn't get rid of anybody. And now they can't keep anybody. I remember what, it, it just, they actually called. Remember when they changed Fatu to the Sultan? Yeah. Okay, and I think he'd been the Sultan for a while. And then they'd done something else. He'd gone through two or three gimmicks. He'd been there for a few years. And Vince one day says, well, we gotta, we've got to cut Fatu. So they called Fatu to the office. They didn't do it on the phone back in those days in a lot of cases. They actually called him in. They brought him up to the office. Vince was going to talk to him personally. Because back then, there was, when there was 40 guys on the roster, it was easier to get the special treatment, right? But the point is, Afa comes with Fatu, and so did Rosie and Jamal. Remember them? I think a two-minute warning. Yeah. All four of them come in. They have the meeting with Vince, and then they, I see them leave because I'm at the off in my office, and I went in, talked to Bruce Pritchard about something. I said, well, did Vince tell Fatu? He said, nope. I said, well, what happened? He said, he not only didn't fire Fatu, he hired the other three. That's when he hired Rosie and Jamal to be a tag team first, and he hired Alpha to come back and do some stuff. Well, I can't remember what. And but he put him on contract. <laughs> and then, and I don't want to malign anyone, but the reason why that they didn't last as a team on that go round was because they did the the pre. Not well, the the medical and drug testing, and one of the individuals apparently flunked the drug test across the board. Everything they checked every box, right? And so then it was a while before he could come in. But yeah, instead of firing one guy, he gave three more guys contracts. Now they're just fucking sending them out in buses. Get out of here. Who else was next? 
The only big names from NXT that I think you would know, well, you know Ember Moon, but we really haven't watched her stuff. Frankie Monet. Like I said, you recently oh, put her over. There we go. Again, what the fuck? She just got there. And I I didn't I didn't really like the push because they grouped her. At first it was it it looked like she was going to be on her own. Then they grouped her with the manager and the stooge, but at least, you know, every star needs an entourage. Okay, it made her look special, but they didn't really push her as an individual to be reckoned with. And again, she stands out. She can work. She looks great. She's got size. She's not one of these girls that has to peek over the top rope or when, when they get in the ring, they step in over the bottom rope. She's a grown adult woman. She's got attitude. And she's a personality. She's not just going out there and doing moves that she's trained to do. And and her husband works there. Well, and, and her husband works there. But, you know, I I wish they'd do a, a couple's package and get them out of there so they could go to OVW, OVW go to AEW. Um. Frankie Monet would be an instant addition to that female roster. I'll tell you that. But I'm just, I'm astonished. I don't know what their thinking would. And I know that her being with, with John, they're not anti-vaccine nuts or something like that. Right wing people. So that's just being stupid and not recognizing talent when you've got it. Another name that we have watched, Oni Lorcan. Poor old Oni. Um, I mean, I think maybe he just fell victim to being one of the 37 mid-sized bald guys on the fucking roster. Yeah, maybe. You know who I hope they release? Timothy Thatcher. Let's get him in AEW. Where is he? I don't know. Has he been injured? As somebody said, maybe he was injured. I don't know, but I hope he's gone soon. Not that I don't want him to succeed uh, in life, but I want him to succeed somewhere else. Yes, it'd be wonderful to be somewhere else. Uh, but, and again, when you give a guy the name Oni, it, he's probably not going to stand out. It's, you know, it's only memorable because of how bizarre it is. Well, those are the major names. Like I said, there are some other ones. We talked in the past about Eva Marie when they signed her after they had cut a bunch of female wrestlers, and now she's been cut because she obviously was never ready to be a wrestler, even after all of her training in the acclaimed NXT program. But these are all the cuts, and I'm sure they'll oh, be and, more. Oh, and we, and we didn't, we didn't and mentioning Mia Yim. Mia um, Yim, yeah, that's right. She's always been not only a hard worker, but talented in the ring, and she did the retribution thing, and has some personality, and looks different, so naturally let's not have her around either. We want everybody to do and say the same things. But, uh, uh, and oh, Lince Dorado and Grand Metallic. I didn't bring them up to you for a reason. I didn't think you well, had watched that. That was much. Lucha House Party, right? Um, I don't know because one of the Lucha well, House Party it? guys was on AEW this week. So well, that's know. what I was going to ask you. Was one of those two weasels either Samurai Del Sol or Aerostar? I believe Samurai Del Sol was the former Kalisto in WWE in Lucha House Party, but I remembered it being a tag team, not a three-person team, so I'm not sure. Grand well, Metallic, I remember from the Cruiserweight tournament a few years back. I don't know if he was a part of that team. 
When we get to the AEW show, which we will here in a second, we'll talk about old Samurai Del Sol and Aerostar. Good Lord. But uh, I won't be sorry to not have to fast forward through those folks, if that's any of the Lucha House Party. <sighs> you know what, Brian? It looks like that a number of these people, because we've talked about it on the program here just earlier, there's not enough places for all these people to go. Some of them are going to need a new career. I think so, and I think that's a hard conversation to have internally or with your partner or anyone you care about. What do I do now? I've been doing all this wrestling stuff for so many years. I'm a young person. I still have a lot to contribute to life. I'm creative, and I think a fun and wonderful way to take all of those skills and point them in the right direction is by learning a wonderful skill like coding that can make you lots and lots of money in the future. That's right, coding. And I got you to admit, Brian Last, that our fine friends at Codecademy, what they teach you over at Codecademy is the same thing that these people do when they overthrow major governments. That's not they, exactly what I admitted. Well, what they you said that that's exactly what they do, that they they use the codes and the malware and the the attacks and they overthrow countries and governments and companies and that sounds like an exciting line of work and code academy is the easiest way to learn to code which is the easiest way to change your career with code academy you can learn to code on your own terms as a matter of fact you give them the terms and if they accept them then they're your own terms because code academy can help you reach your coding goals tomorrow's dictatorship starts today at code academy now you can overthrow governments, attack major companies. You can get the Hickelooper Malware Award. Stop it. Those are not selling only points. to the top no. cyber terrorists of the month. What? Those are not selling no. points. These are not skills that you will learn with Code Academy. Of course, you'll learn how to code and how to do wonderful things online. But all of these things that Jim Quinn had just mentioned, these are not specific skills you will learn from Code Academy. Of course, you always have to start somewhere and learn all the skills you need. Well, but whatever you do after the fact has nothing to do with Code Academy. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is that Code Academy will teach you everything you know about coding and building websites and analyzing data and learning languages like the Python and the Hitamol and the Sysquil and the JavaScript. They'll teach you all the things that you need to know, and then what you do with it from there is up to you, wink, wink, nod, nod. A wink's as good as a nod to a blind man, candid photography. So now we got it. So folks, if you want to have a fine new career, legally, morally, and ethically with code, then go to Code Academy, and they will teach you everything you need to know to make a big impact in the world on somebody. Wink, wink, nod, nod. You know what we're talking about, folks. Build your portfolio. Get your certificate of completion. It could even be made out to an assumed name just in case, depending on your legal status and whether or not you're currently a fugitive. You'll get tools and cheat sheets to help ideas stick to you. You'll have them forced right into your brain, those ideas. And you'll get help from other learners in the forum or connect with people near you in your local Code Academy chapter. Sometimes they will knock on your door late at night or early in the morning and hand you envelopes. You're going to be expected to pass them on to the designated recipients. 
But anyway, you can be a part of Code Academy's community of over 50 million people and land your dream job in web development, programming, computer science, data science, and tons more. And if you join the millions of people learning to code with Code Academy and see where coding can take you, then you can get 15% off your Code Academy Pro membership when you go to codecademy.com and use the promo code experience. That's promo code experience at codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn to code. Folks, you know what your future awaits. All you got to do is go to Codecademy and just graduate from this course that they tell you and just act like nothing's wrong, and then you'll be able to take over the world. Oh, my God. Listen, you'll get great skills. You'll be able to get some great work because of these skills and also yes. be able to work on your own projects. Do not worry about other governments or other institutions you can hack or destroy. Just worry about yourself and your family's success. Yes, and, and it's a high-paying job. I mean, the ransom alone from a typical oh, company on. these days is in, what, six, seven figures. Please do not do anything that would lead to ransom. Of course, that has nothing to do with Code Academy, a fine, fine, fine sponsor and source of skills and lots of other things, and I'm yes. running out of ways to defend these yes. people. Yes, Yes. well, we know what you're talking about. Don't worry, all of us are in on the Code Academy gimmick now, wink, wink, nod, nod. Anyway, what are you doing uh, on the Arcadian Vanguard Network uh, this week, Brian? Another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. The latest episode of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast with Mike Sempervivi and Roman Gomez is out right now. Go to midatlanticpod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mike and Roman look at Mid-Atlantic Television from October of 1982. Hear all about everything that was happening with some of the greatest wrestling personalities of all time, like Ric Flair, Sergeant Slaughter, Roddy Piper, and more. The Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. Also want to make mention of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. A few really popular episodes the last few weeks, of course. The Philadelphia legend himself, Jamie Ward, was on the show talking about the fall of 1981 with John. Great stuff talking about things happening in the World Wrestling Federation and, of course, beyond. And this past week, superstar producer himself, Lou Kippelman, is on Kippelman. Stick to Wrestling. Kippelman himself is on Stick to Wrestling talking about listener questions or answering listener questions. Things like, has Dave Meltzer's influence had any negative effects on the business? Does Paul Orndorff belong in the Hall of Fame? What is the worst you've seen someone bleed in person? And so much more. Check it out today <laughs> at mcadampod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Search for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. And of course, and wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Don't go past this so quickly. That is the only time that I think that that question has ever been asked, probably in the history of humans. What's the most you've ever seen somebody bleed? In person. In person. What would you say? If I asked you what's the bloodiest match you saw in person, not in the back, but actually saw? Ricky Gibson and Robert Gibson against Wayne Ferris and Larry Latham in the Louisville Gardens in 1979. Ricky Gibson was covered from head to toe to where you could not see skin in blood. Is there any footage of that match? There is not, but I took pictures. 
I, and I gave him one of them. So I still have the close up where there's a giant drop of blood coming off the end of his nose. But it looked like he'd, he'd been run through a razor blade factory. Knowing how much the photographers love a good bloody shot, especially in the 70s, did you love shooting Tommy Rich? Um, well, here's the thing. Tommy Rich did not really work Memphis after... Here's the thing. He, he worked Memphis before I was a photographer. When I got in the business, he was still here for about a year, year and a half till he went to Atlanta. He didn't bleed any more or less than anybody else in those days. When he got to Atlanta and got to be the top baby face in the business and gotten all those violent programs and also probably had a significant amount of alcohol in his bloodstream on a daily basis, that's when he bled like a stuck hog. And that was not in, uh, in, in my jurisdiction. And then I got into business and wasn't shooting him. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! That was me the other day when I broke my toe. But of course, go through the archives today at 605pod.com. New episode in production right now. And look for wherever you find your favorite podcast, The 605 Super Podcast. The greatest wrestling podcast of all time, The Mothership! Yeah. Hey. All right, let's talk about this uh, show from this past Wednesday night that uh, made some uh, news and got some talk and some attention, the AEW Dynamite show from Kansas City. And it opened up, they mentioned the Moxley or the Moxley issue made an announcement about it at the top of the program and then followed up on it with punk's promo. Um, let me say this at the start. I'm going to address it briefly because I can't win. You realize I cannot win Brian in this, because if I say what everybody else in the world has said, well, I hope he gets better. I hope he gets the help he needs treatment, whatever, come blah, 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 anything positive or, or, kind then i'll have wise ass after wise ass on the internet go well see he didn't have a goddamn good thing to say about his matches but now he's sucking up or he's trying to be a baby face oh cornet he doesn't really mean it what they'll find something wrong with whatever i say so i will simply say that yes i do hope that he gets better and gets the help he needs and he's got a wife and a baby and a book and a job that he needs to come back to, all of those things, and I hope he does get better and and recover and do that. Well, actually, the the wife and the baby and the book, maybe I I don't know I'd be offended if he got another line of work, if he could be successful and make the same amount of money somewhere else and I didn't have to watch him wrestle. I don't know if I'd be upset, but otherwise, I'm not wishing him ill here. But they started at the top of the program by announcing I I'm trying to remember the exact verbiage, but we wish John Moxley well in his recover recovery was a word they used a couple times, but in this entire television program, they never said recovery from what they and Tony Khan announced it on Twitter earlier that day or the day before, whatever it was. But if you if you're not on Twitter or if you are like many people in the world and don't 
live on the internet checking the wrestling news every day, you would have known whether he'd been in a car wreck or had a drastic accident in the ring or broke his leg or whatever from the recovery. And then later on, Punk fleshed it out a little bit, but still didn't come out and say what was going on, which I thought that was the only thing they dropped the ball on necessarily is not clarifying for the viewer. What in the world are they talking about? What has happened to him? Has he, has he been in a car accident or what's, what's gone on? So, I mean, did I miss it? Did you hear anything of that? Or did they just presume and assume that everybody had seen the announcement and already knew? You know, because I tune out the commentary so often, I didn't hear anything on commentary throughout the night, but I missed the first couple of minutes. I saw the punk thing, obviously. But it's a tricky situation. They didn't say anything I heard overtly saying what Moxley's problems were at this time. But it's one of those things. Do you come out on TV? Do you say that? Do you ignore it? Well, you know, how do you address it once word is out there somewhat due to, you know, either Tony Khan releasing a tweet or just word getting around? Well, there? well word is out there somewhat because Tony Khan specifically said, I, with John Moxley's approval, am letting you know that. So once we've reached that that place, then would it have been out of place for the announcers to say he has entered an alcohol treatment program? That would have, I mean, again, with what Punk said later on, you know, that would have clarified everything. It It's not, they've said the same thing on Twitter, so it's not like, oh, we don't want to say this publicly. It just, they said it in a different public forum, but not on their main television program, at least that I heard. I did not hear any specificity on, on what the recovery was from or whatever, and that... They may not have even realized it. They may have just assumed that, well, everybody knows now. So we're just going to refer to it like everybody knows. But I'm not sure that there weren't some people that just, they they have some kind of casual audience for this program because it does fluctuate somewhat, especially if there's a, you know, a big destination thing like Punk's debut or whatever on the show. They do have somewhat of a casual audience that you would think doesn't live and die by everything like most of their their base. So anyway, nevertheless, maybe they thought they covered it and they just assumed that everybody knew from scratch. From scratch, the opening match was Twinkle Toes against Allen Angels. And okay, I thought they're going to bring out, you know, Olivier for the ratings. And this will be quick, and then they'll get into some business or other with his title match. So I thought skipping the match wouldn't take long, because it's not like I'm going to watch or critique or enjoy in any way Twinkle Toes against Allen Angels. But as I'm skipping through, I, my God, it's competitive. Did you watch this match? I did, and remember... There was a big outcry during the pandemic a while back. Alan Angels wrestled Omega on one of those studio shows they did in Atlanta at QT's gym. And it was an extremely competitive match. It led to Alan Angels getting signed, I believe. And a lot of people had a problem with it because it was so competitive. And I must admit, I forgot. Not that this is a big thing, but I forgot how small Alan Angels was. So we don't really see him wrestle too often. He's smaller than Omega. Well, I mean, Omega's not a 
tiny, minute individual. I can knock him for a lot of things, but that's not one of them. But Alan Angel's definitely, they announced him at 180. And I think they're taking my advice and boosting some of these weights. But the point is, it was 8, 12 p.m. Eastern time before the world's greatest wrestling artist beat a sub 180 pound job guy and got his ass kicked in the process of it and then got on the microphone as we knew he would but now because he's done all this goofy shit with his midget so now he's blown up and it's amplifying his phone sex voice because he has to breathe after every and he's got and he talks like that anyway so now it's almost like he's going to orgasm orgasm oh my god and so he's cutting the promo on Alan Angels, who has disrespected him in whatever fashion, and he asks Michael Knockitoff to give him a chair. And I swear he's Knockitoff gives Twinkle Toes the chair because he's going to kill Alan Angels, and the corpse ref Knox is in the ring, standing there motionless. <laughs> With his hands in a bizarre position out like he's fucking, uh, please, sir, may I have some more? Like he's asking for a bowl of gruel. And Jim Ross, poor Jim Ross has to say, you know, the referee should seriously consider intervening here, trying to send a signal to the back over his headset. Hey, can anybody with the IFB and on fucking corpse referee's head ask him if he wants to goddamn move? Or do something, but nobody picked up on it. Um, He's the worst referee in the entire business. Well, I mean, that's... Unquestionably. That that doesn't even take it into... It's so much worse than that. He's one of the most feckless human beings. He serves no purpose. I'm not even sure if he's breathing air. Somebody ought to put a mirror up in front of his face, see if it fogs up. But anyway, so while he's standing there, Twinkle Toe's going to put the chair underneath Alan Angels, anyway, a chair on the ground. He's going to give Alan Angels the one-winged fairy onto the chair and and kill him dead. Just kill him dead. So he picks Alan Angels up, and he's got him up for the one-winged fairy, and Adam Page's music starts playing. Now, despite the fact that Paige is not even visible and is at least 100 feet away from the ring, and despite the fact that Twinkle Toes really wanted to do this to Alan Angels, as soon as that music hits, he stops and puts Alan Angels down on the ground. Then, here comes Adam Page down the aisleway, and he clotheslines, knock it off. So they get a comedy spot before the top babyface challenging for the world title even gets in the ring. He knocks, knock it off out and keeps going. And Twinkle Toes has the chair that he's going to hit Paige with. But the job guy that Twinkle Toes just beat up and beat and was going to kill jumps up and takes the chair away from him and throws it away and then drops back down selling again. And so Paige comes in over the top with the buckshot lariat, but Olivier ducks it and slides out, and Paige is in the ring pissed. So he picks up the belt, and he puts it back over on the apron and tells him that he's got 10 days until full gear to enjoy that belt. There was nothing wrong with the interplay between 
Harpo and Page here, but did it have to follow a fucking guy the size of an eighth grader carrying the world champion to 10 minutes of the, one of the hardest matches he's had on television? Or was that counterproductive? I think it's counterproductive, and I think the argument will always be, oh, well, Ric Flair worked long matches against job guys, or this guy worked long matches no, against job guys. No, he actually didn't. He works long matches against George South every once or twice a year on TV whenever the Dusty wrote him down with George South. Otherwise, he didn't work long matches with job guys. But I agree. It's a counterproductive thing for the world champion to have a competitive match with a guy that looks like shit. I'm sorry. He has really bad tattoos and he's really small. He shouldn't be in a competitive match with the world champion. Other than that and the inclusion of Michael Nakazawa, I don't have any problem with this. I've told you, I like Omega as a heel. You want to make him the world champion, heel champion. Surround him with serious people you want to see get their asses kicked. Don't surround him with Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. I could even take Don Fallis. I could even take the Cucamonga kids. Where is Don Fallis? I, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he's got scarlet fever again. But the Omega Page stuff, no problem with it. The building to the title. I did have one thought, one question. Do you think, this is kind of awkward. Do you think the Moxley stuff played into Adam Page coming out without a drink? Or are they done with oh. Adam Page coming out with a drink? Well... Remember when he came out a couple of weeks ago and did the promo that we praised to the heavens? So where have you been all of our lives? This is a main event guy. He's serious. He's talking. He's putting his foot down. He didn't have it. And then the next week he came out with a drink in his hand. It was a beer or what? It wasn't a whiskey, but uh, he didn't have one here. And you know what? Regardless of what their thought process is, this would be a good place for Adam Page never to come out with a drink in his hand ever again, wouldn't it? I agree. I completely agree. Drop this whole thing with the drinking and him and just make him a badass cowboy shit baby face that you want to see kick Omega's ass. There you go. Because And besides for the optics, as the kids say, for the appearance of it, it's in bad taste. It was stupid to begin with. So, yeah. So... Poor old hangman can go back to being a regular wrestler instead of a sad, morose drinker. Anyway, Malachi Black did another dark, spooky promo. He has been barred from ringside. Either that or he missed his flight. No, he's been barred from ringside, but it won't matter. He said, when they assassinated Caesar, it wasn't just Marcus that betrayed him. Dramatic foreshadowing. It was Bruce. Well, I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not thinking of it. That's a different betrayal. But, but I was thinking. Now, wait a minute. It was Brutus also. So, was this going to be little Brutus that betrays Cody? You know, the little Brutus from the Dork Order. What if it's no, Bra what if it's Brandy? Oh, can you? That would actually be great—a Brandy heel turn on Cody. That may be the only thing that could turn him babyface. Oh, that would be great, and she would have a ball. It would be the one time people enjoy Brandy, and she's actually having a good time too. Well, but we know it ain't going to be, and it ain't going to happen. But anyway, um, the next segment of this program—Are you ready, Brian? I think. Like Mussolini no, and applesauce. I wasn't ready. No, I wasn't. Here comes CM Punk live. And the chants and the signs and the singing. JR leads in with 
nobody in pro wrestling is hotter than CM Punk. And then excrement jumps in and does the t-shirt sell. And I know the producer had told him, yeah, get the t-shirt sell in there, but somebody wasn't thinking the Punk's entrance was not the place to sell the t-shirts. But anyway, he's in a serious mood and he set the stage and led with Moxley to get the chant going. We're going to say this again later on when we talk about what he did on the Friday night show, but he is so fucking real. He sounds real. He appears real. He's not, he's not just articulate. He puts emotion and or meaning and or inflection and or a naturalness into what he's speaking about. He speaks like a real guy. Yeah, like a a real regular person and like somebody that's coming up with what he's saying as he's saying it, like most people do when they speak and not reciting something that he's memorized. And nobody else in the business, I don't think, could have done this particular promo. And in, in talking about John Moxley, in that three minutes, he made Moxley a bigger baby face than Moxley ever made himself. But you believe what Punk is saying, and this is what the WWE can't do. They can't have somebody go out and speak from the heart about a real moment or a real happening or a real situation because not only is most of their talent can't, I mean, Heyman could do it, obviously, a few of the guys, but nobody believes, the fans don't believe any of their WWE people are real. And they can't do this type of segment. Whether it's a work shoot or a shoot shoot, WWE can't do this type of stuff. And then Punk did a seamless transition to Kingston and into his story. The Kingston had interrupted him and uh, offended him or, or disrespected him. And again, the Jerry Jarrett principle that he learned from Roy Welch, who learned wrestling in 19-fucking-20. If you're going to be a worker, verbally, physically, or whatever, you tell them what they know to be true and what they can believe to be true as far as you can, because then when you take that right turn and start working them, they don't know where one ended and the other began. And it's seamless. So he starts talking about the story with Kingston. He shot down the heckler in the crowd. Um, he told Eddie that he would be in St. Louis on Friday night to accept his apology uh, for interrupting him and also covered up the loophole he was going to offer to fill in in the tournament because that's obviously what people are calling for, but now not. Don't be boo me, boo Eddie, because it's his fault that I'm not doing it. It's just, he's at a different level verbally and everything's logical. And it's not slapping you in the face with why in the world would somebody say that, or that wouldn't be something that somebody would say or do in that situation. What'd you think? I think he may be the most effective promo in the entire business. This probably sounds a little weird, but I think you'll get it. He reminds me of Bruno. In 1980, the way he could do a promo and just talk to the people. And like you said, you don't know where the line is, what's real and what's not real. And I think it's the same thing with Punk. He was the guy to come out there and talk about the Moxley thing. There was no one else, including Tony Khan on that roster, that would have done a better job. 
and he had the yeah. crowd in the palm of his hands. He's been there, and look, I know people have talked about the numbers for the shows. One thing that's undeniable, since Punk arrived, he's been the most over guy in every show. And the people go nuts for him. As soon as that music hits, and he has the ability to calm them down and get them to listen. Getting a wrestling audience to shut up and listen is a real talent. And yeah. I love, you know, I get MJF, who is just a classic wrestling star doing classic, amazing wrestling promos with a modern tinge to it. But I think Punk is at a whole nother level because of the genuineness that he exudes. I mean, it would be crazy to think of CM Punk saying stuff and you're like, oh, that guy's a fucking liar. You never see that. <laughs> Even if you no. disagree with the fucking guy, he says things that you believe he really believes. And I think he's the best promo in the business. And even when he was at his peak in WWE or even Ring of Honor, I always liked his stuff. And it was stuff I really liked. But then, you know, it was like, okay, there are other guys I like too. He's one of the most special people in the whole fucking business right now. He's one of my favorite wrestlers in the whole business right now. Every time he's on TV, it's captivating. Whether it's a promo or a match where you can't figure out exactly what's going on. Why is it so competitive? What's the story here? He's still paying dividends to AEW. Signing him was the greatest thing they ever could have done. And this promo was fantastic. He's the best promo in the business, period. Better than Heyman well, right now. Oh, boy, I'll tell you it's what different. Now. It's different. Heyman's more like, you know, like an MJF. There, there's, where you, there's where you get into Beatles or Stones. It's, it's taste at that point. Um... But yeah, and that's that's the thing is that it's so much it's so different now because there's nobody else that's real or even allowed to try to be. And so he shines through. It's it's and also the matches. Nobody is having logical sensible matches. So when his it's it's more refreshing. It's just it's all he's doing is just doing everything right. And it works because nobody else does it anymore. And he takes his time with the promos. If you notice, he's never rushing. There's never the feeling like, oh, he's trying to get everything out as fast as he can. He takes Which his time. Which is sometimes, it's sometimes what MJF needs to watch out for. He needs to let some things breathe and percolate and be a little more of a smart ass in between because he just hits them with, it's great material, but it's like you're being bombarded with fucking filet mignon to the point where you can't fucking see it. I will never complain about being bombarded with filet mignon for the <laughs> record. But I mean, those are two examples of two of the best promos in the business, but punk is at a very special level right now. And the relationship he has with the fans is extraordinary. And there's nothing bad. You can't say anything bad about any of this. This was perfect. Anyway, we followed up with, and I never thought I'd say this. I love Miro. I love Miro. If they'd have given me this Miro at the start, I would have never said a bad thing about Miro. He he basically, uh, again, another one of the pre-tapes where he he warned God, he threatened God, he questioned God, and now apparently God is buckled and, and Miro's in a tournament because <laughs> he's going to fill in for Moxley. So whoever, is he writing this stuff himself? If he is, it's fantastic, but... I think he is. There's no way someone's writing this for him. Well, but when... I mean, English is his second language. As is obvious by, you know, when he cussed me out on Twitter and said he was going to come on me like the wrath of God. <laughs> so, I mean, he's doing better writing than than the, the writers that have graduated major universities in English. So, I don't... But whoever is doing a great job, but he's delivering it well also. 
He's one of my favorite guys in AEW, and we can't keep saying it every time, but it's such a shame the way he was used for the first, whatever, five months, six months, but... Well, yeah, now I'm laughing about it, because now I'm like, this complete imbecile that was used as a joke and a job guy and palling around with goofs and underneath guys, and you thought the... And they're throwing video games around, and they had this underneath that somewhere. I just, I laugh. His promos are different. And they stand out and they're perfect for him because he makes them work. Again, they're ridiculous, but it doesn't seem outrageous that he's saying it. He's not winking at us. No. He's he's doing it. Everything in wrestling is outrageous or preposterous or whatever. What made it was the fact that whoever was delivering it looked like they meant it. And then you could say instead of that's bullshit, he's crazy or whatever. And that's... He, th- he looks like he means this. Uh, you know, I don't know where Pip Sabian is, but I hope he never comes back. Uh, anyway, speaking of somebody that did come back, Officer Bar Brady. Poor Tony Schiavone must have been really worn out the past several weeks. His cardio has got to be tremendous for a man his age to do all those interviews. But Bar Brady was back just in time. I swear, I, I wish I knew how to put the clips up on Twitter, the gifs or the gifs or whatever, like the kids do. This was the funniest visual I have ever seen in my life. Folks, Officer Bar Brady was interviewing Adam Cole and the Hardly Boys in the back. And of course, Adam goes first. As soon as he finishes speaking, the Hardly Boys immediately go into comedy and they got scared by Christian Cage and Dino Douche coming in. And they get in a fight and they're in front of a bunch of equipment cases in the backstage area. And Marvez had been standing in the middle of them. So when Dino Douche and Christian Cage and the Hardly Boys and Adam Cole get in this fight, Marvez is in the middle and Instead of showing on his face, oh shit, I'm in the middle of a fight and dropping the microphone and trying to cover up and run and get out of there, he just stood there with he was transfixed, like he was mesmerized with a blank look on his face, with his hands up in the air, like he was being arrested and let them all fight around him. Did you see that, Brian? I did see that, yes. Did did I describe it somewhat correctly? Yes, I believe he went to the Rick Knox School of Acting. And then as soon as the I, I had just written, my God, they aired this, because I thought it was a pre-tape, right? And then I realized, oh, they had no choice. It's live, because they fought out into the arena straight from that, and they're out in front of the people. And they have a sloppy fight in the back of the arena, which Brandon Cutlet was there also, and he ruined even the sloppy fight with the comedy with the spray can. Suddenly, Jungle Boy appeared as they were fighting on the floor and dove off the stage and cannonballed all of them. And Christian got super kicked, and Adam Cole, for whatever reason had been done to him, was crawling on his hands and knees down the ramp. And Dino Douche grabs one of the Hardly Boys and chokeslammed him on top of Adam Cole. And then Jungle Boy got the snare trap on Cole and choked him out. Right flat there on the fucking ground. And then Christian, who I like Christian Cage as a person and as a talent. 
And I know that he and Edge used to do this, and I like Edge too, but the concerto, the stupid fucking concerto. They choke slam a guy on top of Adam Cole, then they fucking choke him out unconscious. Then Christian puts a chair underneath Adam Cole's head while he's laying there face down, takes another chair and hits the chair that Adam Cole's head is on, trying to give us the impression that he just caved Adam Cole's skull in. But the problem with that is I've mentioned every single fucking time that it's done. Unless I see blood shoot like projectile diarrhea and brain matter and bone bits of bone splattering everywhere. What they just did was phony. And not only was what they just did phony, but then by extension, that means that Adam Cole laid there on purpose and let him do it. And besides that, as I asked Vince McMahon one time, when he had finished telling the instructions for Antonio Pena's Mexican champion to get beat like a job guy in three minutes flat on syndication, I said, why don't you just piss in his mouth while he's down there? Why didn't they just piss in Adam Cole's mouth while he was down there? And this is before the pay-per-view? Boy, howdy. All the heat that the Hardly Boys and Adam Cole had that we wanted to see the baby faces get even. Well, we don't need to pay for that. We just saw it. How much more can you... Basically, you took a, a teammate of his like a sack of shit and hit him with his own teammate. Then you choked him out flat unconscious. Then you caved his head in and then stood over him and fucking emitted violent and vicious epithets. Should have pissed in his mouth. You missed one. What'd you think of this segment, Brian? You know, it was like every Young Bucks match went way too long. They did way too much stupid stuff. It's like wrestling theater. In the middle of the wrestling show, there's the wrestling theater section where a bunch of maladjusted kids get together and do a whole bunch of things, unnecessary amount of things, that just aren't very good. Look, I know a lot of you like the Young Bucks tumble salts and shit. They're just so lame. Everything they do The from tumble their, salts? Every, the tumble salts. The tumble salts. Everything from their promos to their attempts to be heels to this... Everything they book just sucks. It's lame. I didn't give a shit about any of this. Adam Cole came to AEW to be a joke. We'll see if they can repair him. They did with Miro. We'll see if maybe if all of a sudden he has Roddy and Kyle and Bobby Fish next to him. Maybe that's a nice change. And maybe he could say, hey, you guys, I did all this stupid shit with you. I'm ready for my own team. And there you got a natural feud. But he hasn't done it for me in AEW so far. Not at all. And of all those guys that came in, obviously he's not as big a star as Punk or Brian. But Adam Cole, more than anyone else, just feels like another guy on the roster with the Elite right now, as opposed to a superstar well that came in there. And that's what I was afraid of from the opening bell when they introduced him as a surprise on the pay-per-view and then promptly trumped him five minutes later, less than with Brian Danielson. So he was the second best debut in, in that five minute period. It just, so now it is what it is. You know, I wish there was some way, Brian, that you could, you could repair some of the damage done to some of these wrestlers. If you could only, if there was a website where you could get like spare wrestler parts and repair your what? own wrestlers at home, 
all the damage that's been done to these wrestlers by bad booking and <laughs> horrible creative and rotten matches. If you could just figure out a way to fix all that and get new parts for the wrestler and new parts for his gimmick <laughs> like you can your car. New wrestler parts. This is like the Frankenhooker of professional wrestling. Well, that's right. But in folks, until that happens, we can't fix wrestlers, but we can fix our cars. And the friends that we have at rockauto.com can get you every part you'll ever need to fix your own car or truck or, I don't know, maybe even motorcycles. What about the, do they fix hover rounds? Do they carry hover round parts at rockauto.com? What about those scooters at Walmart that fat people get on? Do they carry those parts, Brian? <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea if that's classified under the auto section of Rock Auto. I don't know. Well, it's all the parts that your vehicle will ever need at rockauto.com. You want to save money. You want to use it for important things like mortgage, food, drugs, hookers. Why would you choose to spend 30 or 50 or 100% more for the exact same auto part at a chain store or new car dealership than you would at rockauto.com? And they're not going to screw you around if you're not one of those professional mechanics. Everybody gets the same price. Do-it-yourselfers professional mechanics people walking in off the streets trying to create robots all the people get the same prices on these fine automotive parts and folks they've got everything from engine control modules to brake fluid to blinker fluid to even crankshafts for your your crank so you can go to rockauto.com the website is unique and remarkably easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, the specifications. Choose the prices you prefer. If you prefer to pay $2 for a $100 piece of business, try it. See how far you get. Don't <laughs> no. let me stop you. I don't know if that's the way it works exactly, but well, they great prices. It. Yes. Yeah, just see how far you get with that. I said, why well, spend up to twice as much for the same parts? I didn't say you were going to get any shit for free. These people got to run a business too. You know, I've mentioned that's the problem with some of these people that let the maintenance on their car go until they're broke down on the side of the road, and then they inconvenience their family. And then I've told you what happens. Ends up the kids go to prison, and the wife's out on the streets with a mattress on her back, all because you wouldn't take care of your car and keep it in running condition. Folks, go to rockauto.com right now and see the parts available for your car or truck and buy them from the reliably low prices and the amazing selection. Don't forget to pay for them or somebody will be knocking on your door with a monkey wrench. But anyway, when you go to rockauto.com, write JCE in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you and you're somebody to keep an eye on. rockauto.com Well, next up on the Dynamite Parade of Terror, was what I was afeard was going to happen. I still think that somebody is sabotaging FTR. I'm not going to name any names, but somebody seems to be jealous that the best tag team in the world is on the AEW roster, and it ain't the Hardly Boys. I'm not They've allegedly had their pull taken somewhat away, but what... There's no reason for this match otherwise than if you want to say, okay, we're, we're, it's like a Hulk Hogan job to Billy Kidman. We're putting these people over, but we're not really. What good did this match do 
for FTR. They defend the AAA tag team titles that they've won instead of the AEW titles against Samurai Del Sol and Aerostar, which we don't know who they were in other lives. They're both masked guys. Were they the Lucha House Party? What, or, or, or is it Masquerita Sagrada and Mini Vader, potentially? Because neither one of these guys could stand on tiptoes and clear the top rope. And when I saw that, and of course, I like FTR's music. JR mentioned that music brings back memories. But I wrote at the start of this before the bell had even rung, okay, how good are FTR? Can they get these guys to have a match that makes sense? Because I knew what we were going to see. And the answer, FTR's the best, but they ain't that good, especially when somebody's sabotaging. I've, I thought there was some reason for optimism when Aerostar did the 10 flips around the ring and then Dax just gave him the finger and basically flipped him off. There's my flip, motherfucker. And that was the best that FTR looked in the whole match. I know they had to feed the monkeys the peanuts, but they had to feed for and or stand around awkwardly for the gymnastics in the entire first segment of this match. And then they did a heat spot on old Aerostar for the break, like a good heel team should, right? That's a nice break spot. Oh my God, suddenly the baby face is in jeopardy. We'll be right back. The problem was they got all their heat in the break. Did you see when they came back from the break? We have missed every bit of the match where FTR was in control and old Aerostar or ass for short was doing dives again and nearly killed Dax when he dove off the top rope because Dax was trying to catch him and break the idiot's fall. And he went sideways and Dax almost got folded up underneath him. But the whole match, FTR had to stand there and either wait on the cheerleading routines or just weeble and wobble immobile while the other team got their shit together to do their vaulting. And it made FTR look bad. Even They fed perfectly for everything. The other guy's timing was off. And it just makes them look bad that they've got to cooperate with this fucking Cirque de Bolchet instead of doing what they do. This was the phoniest looking FTR match that I've ever seen through no fault of their own. They tried to give these guys shit. They were, they had to be told to give them that much because no top team that's in an angle for the tag team title is going to fucking get their ass kicked by two midgets for the entire match on television before the pay-per-view. So this was an, an instructed hit. The one thing, they double backdropped one of the baby faces who landed on his feet and then did a split. But then the other guy was supposed to vault off the ropes over him and do whatever the fuck. But the guy wasn't even, he hadn't even left the apron yet. So FTR has to stand there while this guy just does a split like fucking Cheetah Rivera in front of him. And they're looking at it, and then the other guy comes off the top, and they catch him and have to hold him forever like they're going to double powerbomb him, but not so that the other guy that did the split can come off the top rope and drop kick him. It, it was just an exhibition of gymnastics and cooperative dance. 
at at one they were kicking the shit out of FTR and doing it at 100 miles an hour. And then finally, Dash pinned one midget with a roll-up and held the tights. So they needed to cheat to beat a job team. This was ridiculous. And as I say, it had to be a planned hit because somebody had to instruct them to have this match and for the featured tag team to be cannon fodder for clowns. Change my mind, Brian. I didn't hate it as much as you did, but there were some egregious moments. Like you said, they did the first spot where, for some reason, this idiot was trying to Frankenstein or both guys while jumping off the top rope. Seems impossible if you're 5'6". But then he did it the second time, and they had to stand there and hold him and wait. Eh, I mean, Omega just went through a break with Alan Angels. Why shouldn't FTR have a difficult time defeating these guys that have never been on TV before? Well, after that, Nyla Rose demonstrated why she never gets to do a promo. And then we had the dinner circle in the ring for a promo about the 10-man, what is it, Minneapolis street fight? The dreaded Minneapolis street fight. I'm not dreading a Minneapolis street fight unless Nord, Hawk, Animal, and Rude are in it. But anyway, they start talking, and then here comes the American Top Team music, and out comes Lambert and company, and he's got some of the biggest MMA names in the business behind him. And, of course, Jericho gets the dip dipshit chant going. And then the people start chanting at Lambert, shut the fuck up. They don't like AEW being on national television, do they? Or they just don't care? Wait, which one do you think it is? The fans I'm talking about. They probably aren't thinking about it being problematic, their chant. Probably ignorance. Well, there's a reason for that, because nobody's told them, hey, don't say fuck, because it's going to get heat on us. When Sinclair started doing the Ring of Honor show, every night before the TV taping, I think you saw a time or two, I would go out, and that's when the Ring of Honor fans still listened to me before Sinclair's decision-making destroyed all my credibility. And I would say, hey, guys, we want you to have fun, yell, scream, cheer, boo, make noise, express yourself however you want, but don't say shit we can't say on TV. And they'd boo. I know, but we're going to have to post-produce it. You're going to overwork the TV crew that's already overworked. It's not their fault. We can't air profanity, and you might screw up your favorite wrestler's TV match. So just keep it as clean as you can. And they appreciated that because I was being honest with them. And for the most part, they... It kept it clean enough so that we could show it on television. You can't tell me, Brian, as a responsible person who's worked in a variety of businesses, is it out of the realm of possibility that one night a high-ranking Turner Network television executive turns on his network and hears people chanting, shut the fuck up, and it's live so you can't really fucking do anything about it if the seven second delay button apparently nobody was on it and but it's hard to make that work anyway <clears throat> is it within the within the realm of possibility 
that that executive might say, I, do, I don't want to hear fuck on my network. These, this low-class wrestling show. I will say Tony Khan is someone who, if he went out there and asked the fans at the beginning of a taping to chill out with this stuff and did it in the right way, I'm sure they would listen to him. Also, there's a reason why they're chanting it during this segment. Because well, yeah, because <laughs> this feud has been garbage, and Jericho gets lamer and lamer by the day, and I just don't think too many people want to see this. It just happens that it's in the middle of the show, and it lasts way too long, way too long. Dan Dan's material is getting old because now that everybody knows that it's not real, and he's admitted that, and I like Dan Lambert. I liked working with him down in TNA, and he's friends with Lashley, and I liked, I liked all those guys. But he's reciting it now. He's admitted that he only believes in part of the things he's saying because he's with AEW. That's the promo or the interview that he did with the website. They're seeing through it, and he's doing the same shit. It's not changing. He's falling into the comedy business, too, and he's getting too fancy with his verbiage instead of being real. But it, it also it took quite a while to go through the records of all of his team members and their accomplishments and et cetera so that the dinner circle could pick their opponents, which they picked Dos Santos, and you knew they were going to because Jericho's praised his debut. He's a natural. He might be a natural, but his debut was not Ronda Rousey's debut. And they picked Arlovsky, and Paige Van Zant offered to be in it because <laughs> she could take all five of them by herself. And then, you know, Jericho will put it on your OnlyFans page. Uh, it was, well, <laughs> with her husband there, her husband's a, a shoot fighter, and he starts to step up and say something. And she says, I don't need a man to do my fighting for me. And he just shut right up. So he kind of, anyway. They picked Dan Lambert to be the final member of the team since he had said at the start of the interview that he was the, the number one member of American Top Team. And then he tried to get out of it, and it wasn't real believable when he tried to get out of it because we knew it was coming anyway because you could see it coming. And it is kind of, it is what it is. But I, I, it's terrible. Uh, That's what it is. It's terrible. If they, if they put Lambert in the match, then he does. I'm sure the AEW fans will enjoy seeing him get beat, which is probably what's going to happen. But um, it's a little, unless they're just finishing this particular thing up, that's, I don't know how he retains his heat and comes back from getting beat in the 10 man, which is the only sane finish. So we'll see what happens. And, you know, we'll talk about the ratings briefly at the end, but the ratings keep going down, and I'm sorry, Jericho needs to be off TV for a while, and this Lambert thing isn't working, and no one's going to care about Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. And at this point, Jericho helps Hager, because no one gives a fuck about Hager, but Jericho's dragging down Sammy and yeah. Santana and Ortiz. And I just think this whole thing and is terrible. Santana and Ortiz have really stepped up and look good and they talk serious and Ortiz is not doing the, the, the funny shtick anymore, but they're stuck in this as secondary characters in this, you know, this fucking group thing that Jericho's got going on. So he has a bunch of flunkies around him, but especially Sammy, as you mentioned anyway. 
Um, Tony Schiavone was with Dante Martin, Leo Rush, Matt Seidel, and Lee Moriarty, who was the long-running nemesis of Sherlock Holmes back when Lee was a professor. <laughs> For all you Arthur Conan Doyle fans out there. Um, so now Seidel and Moriarty want a tag match with Dante and Leo. And that's basically what this was. It was not a good promo, but Dante Martin almost smiled. And and you could see uh, across his face the glimmer of a thought on his blank palette that he calls a face. I Uh, like this. This is one of... This is, to me, one of the most intriguing things in AEW right now. The Leo Rush, Dante Martin, Matt Seidel feud. They have lots of lower card guys doing garbage stuff. I like Dante Martin. Matt Seidel ain't bad. No. And Leo Rush, like I said, Richie from The Last Dragon, grown up. He has the same vocal style as Richie from The Last Dragon. But Leo Rush is great as a heel. Again, we'll see him in the ring now for the first time since that Battle Royal where he retired after. But I've enjoyed... (laughs) And maybe it's the morbid curiosity of where they're going with all this, but out of all the things on this show I have a problem with, I've enjoyed the weird Leo Rush-Dante Martin dynamic for the past few weeks. Well, better than the Jericho segments. Better than the Jericho segments. Better than the Super Elite segments. This has been good stuff. Shorter. Shorter is better. Um, The tournament for the Hose title was next. The TBS Championship. But as you clearly saw, and now you can't unsee, someone on Twitter sent the picture out the close-up of the belt, the way that they have stylized the TBS logo, looks like HOS, hose title. It is one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Jamie Hayter versus Anna Jay, and they had a big schmoz afterwards where a bunch of the girls... So there's an angle after every match. There's an afterbirth, there's heat after, there's a big brawl, there's people running in. And that's why you can't remember from one segment to the next who ran in and did what to who, because it happens every time you look at the screen. And then Jane Cargill and Mark Sterling uh, did a a little pre-tape where Sterling recited some material with absolutely no feeling whatsoever. And then Jane remarked that she's going to rename the TBS belt that bitch show belt. Yeah, that'll go over well. Which actually, which Jim Ross's response as soon as they came out of it was, well, that'll sell. (laughs) That bitch show. (laughs) Bitch show. Uh, So anyway. Let me just say, because you went past it quick, I actually like the Anna J. Jamie Hayter match. I'm sure you did. I think, and I know you didn't watch it, so you're really not going to judge it one way or another. I'll just say that I think Jamie Hayter carries herself like a little bit of a badass from the moment she walks down to the ring and the way she worked. And I thought she looked pretty good. And Anna Jay, out of everyone in AEW who's younger and hasn't done much yet or hasn't been pushed down everyone's throat too hard yet, Anna Jay has a world of potential because she's good looking, she's athletic, she seems to be trying to learn how to work, and the fans are into her. So out of everyone there, she may have the biggest upside for the future of anyone in that women's division. What an endorsement. How much did she pay you for that? I mean it. But anyway, I know you didn't watch it, so let's move on to whatever you did watch. Moving on. MJF 
As MJF is coming out, Tony Schiavone calls MJF, well, there's the big shithead. So now the announcers are cussing without need to. Remember 20 years ago, if, if somebody had done something horrible, Jim Ross would be pushed to the brinking point and he would finally come out with, well, that no good, dirty son of a bitch. And it meant something because he was pushed beyond all normal bounds and whatever was going on or had been done, it was, it was called for. It was in a moment of conflict. This is the MJF's walking down to the ring and Tony, well, there comes the big shithead. But it happens every week. And to me, I think that's stupid. I hate Shivani on this show. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people forget about WCW and they want to pretend like he was a good commentator throughout the 90s. He was garbage. And then he's come back and it was nice to see him for a while. And I know Tony Khan feeds him a lot of the shit that he says. He has no insight into anything. He's just happy to be there. And then the MJF stuff. One week it's, oh, this prick. You're a commentator. Cut the shit. You didn't call Ric Flair a prick on TBS TV, did you? So I don't know. Shivani to me is just worthless on commentary at this point. And I, and I think it's so stupid and counterproductive for them to be the ones calling the heels, even if it is someone as despicable as MJF, for the commentators to be calling the heels names is completely stupid. That's what I'm saying. And not only that, but to, and I mean, you know, the, the, you can call somebody a, a, a name without it being a, a curse word. And I could, because I know that we've all got Tourette's now and they've established you can say shit and son of a bitch and goddamn and whatever on TNT now, but it loses the impact like everything else does. Imagine if, you know, if they, if, if Rob Black hadn't done all that extreme porn before he did XPW, then people would still enjoy the movie of where the pizza delivery guy comes over and things happen from there. But now that's fucking bland because we've seen the fucking 72 man Bukaki on the fucking Girl Scout. And all they do, the, the more angles they do, the more numb and immune you are to them. The more cursing, the more numb and immune and normal it becomes. They immune people to everything by doing it repeatedly. And then it has no impact. Anyway, MJF came out, cut a promo on Darby Allen, who was sitting slack-jawed in a dark corner of the arena with a blank look on his face. And MJF asked the fans why they booed him and cheered Darby. And then answered, it's because MJF reminds them of people better than they are. And Darby is an incel outcast misfit who can barely string together four words. Not good enough to be a normal functioning member of society. MJF has a way of saying the most basic truths in a very verbose and plain way. Um... And the whole time while he was being called a glorified stuntman, Darby sat there with a blank face and stared at him. And MJF totally killed it. What a promo. But finally, Darby spoke and admitted that he was everything that MJF called him. It's the first time. Could you imagine? And Jerry Lawler told Bill Dundee he was nothing but a sawed-off runt if Dundee'd come out. Yeah, that's right. I'm just a sawed-off runt. Lawler, you're exactly right. But anyway, Darby also said at full gear he was going to keep his composure and have a wrestling match like MJF wants because 
he's going to let his anger out tonight. And he headed to the ring. So I know it was a cute line, but basically you've said, okay, for the show, you got to pay $50 for, I'm not going to be mad. And we're going to have a wrestling match. We're going to fight tonight for free on TV. So MJF leaves the ring as Darby is headed to the ring, but sting comes out with a baseball bat and how many umpteen people was there like eight, 10, 12 people wearing sting masks? There were a bunch and they were skinny. They were big. They were tall. They were short. It just seemed like anyone they could find. Yes. And they all blocked off MJF. Spears and Wardlow came out and attacked the sting mask people and got in a sloppy fight. And MJF and Darby started fighting in the crowd. And at least their shit looked better, but you can tell that nobody has any heat and nobody gives a shit really truly about anything because they were in the aisleway. If they had security people around them, they were hid well. They I did. And by the way, they did. Did they have security? Yeah, there were at least a couple of guys there, but they were hidden pretty well so that if you didn't know what to look for, you wouldn't realize it was security. Well, exactly. And so to my point. Nobody tried to goddamn pop MJF once. Nobody tried to help Darby. Nobody got a fucking kick in the balls in. Nobody stepped on his toe. Nobody put the short right to the fucking jaw. I'm As an experienced heel, I would have rather faced a gun at ringside inside the railing than gone out in the people because you would never see it coming. You couldn't tell which way, who was hitting you and from what direction. If you were in the aisleway by yourself or with a fucking baby face having a fight, you were going to lose it real quick. So now they just let them fight and spread out for them. So nobody cares. Um, but finally, Darby comes out from under it and clotheslines MJF into the ringside area. And MJF ran back into the crowd. And they played some music and it was over with. So... Again, before the pay-per-view, the babyface gets the last word on the heel. Not only that, he tells the people that they're going to have a nice wrestling match at the pay-per-view because he's going to kick the shit out of him here, but then he didn't really kick the shit out of him like he'd want I don't know what the fuck the logic here was. If you... If you don't have a spot where the heat can get where the heat where the heel can get some more heat on the babyface before his vindication at the pay-per-view, don't have him get into a physical situation. If Darby Allen is not going to get his physical vindication at the pay-per-view, then he might have actually needed to fucking kick some more of MJF's ass here. But without all the sting people and the sting and the fucking sting masks and the clutter, that just confused the issue. It's a little busy, a little bit, a little pitchy. I'll say something about this segment in a moment, but in general, whatever MJF does next, we've seen MJF in a lot of feuds from Cody to now Darby. We saw the Jericho thing, him and Moxley way back. Whoever MJF feuds with next, let him get heat before he gets touched. MJF is getting thrown into pools or attacked or shit before a pay-per-view match every single time. He goes yeah. out there, he gets people to want to kill him, and then they kill him, and then you're supposed to watch the match. I think that's one of the big mistakes in general with MJF's booking. 
Don't let anyone touch him until people pay to see him get his ass kicked. Now, with that said, I think MJF's promo was fantastic here. I think the way they shot it added a lot to it because it wasn't from that same boring stationary angle. They couldn't because right. of where he was. And it wasn't from in the ring. It was a shot as he was leaning over the ropes. I thought it looked great. I could even deal with Darby sitting there quietly not saying anything. Why does Darby have a mic? Where did he get the mic? <laughs> I'd like to know that. Whatever was happening on that stage with Sting and the crew of Weirdos and Wardlow and Spears, we saw almost none of, and we have no, no idea what the hell was going on over there. So I'm not sure. I thought MJ took a great bump over the barricade when Darby ran down to clothesline him. But like you said, there's no heat, but I can't expect there would be heat nowadays. I just These fans are not going to attack anyone. And if they jump the rail, it's to get attention. It's not to hurt someone. Okay, like, here's, a, here's a question for you, though. You're closer to this age group than I am. Is it a common thing now for people of Darby Allen's age to just sit there if somebody is calling them every name in the book and insulting their family and their friends and their dog and their house and saying horrible things, do they just sit there and let those people do it these days? I don't know if it happens much these days. That's the problem. Everyone's quiet sitting off in the corner, hoping not to offend anyone. Uh, well, speaking of offending people, the all-time world champion at offending AEW fans was up next, Cody. Cody was back in the ring against Andre Oleolio with Andre's assistant in his corner and with Arn Anderson, of course, serving his penance in Cody's corner. <laughs> I mean, they started hot and it's, it was a fight. There's nothing wrong with either of these guys work. The work is not the issue. Um, they went for a few minutes and Cody got shoved off the top to the floor for a break spot. And they went to the break when they came back. Cody was starting to make a little comeback, or soon after, made a little comeback to a cacophony of cat calls. And again, we've talked about it, the way that he somehow managed to do this. Cody Rhodes has good wrestling matches, and the people hate him. And the Hardly Boys have shit fests, and these people love them. And, and when you actually think about it, secretly, the Hardly Boys are much more rotten people than Cody is personally, really, but they just do a better job of hiding it. Um, They went back and forth some more. Cody made another come, made the flip flop and fly come back and they booed that. <laughs> Andre, the heel got the figure four and they cheered. Cody reversed it, turned it over and they booed. Uh, the assistant popped up on the apron and Arn nailed him and Cody went for a dive on Andre who was out on the floor while the referee was dealing with the other guys and FTR suddenly appeared from under the ring and held up their belts and Cody dove into them. Now that was a piece of timing. I don't, and I don't know how they got him under the ring. Um, but boom, he dives into the belts. FTR goes back under the ring. Andre rolls Cody in, hits him with a DDT, one, two, three, and gets a huge ovation. I've never seen, I mean, it, it was, even when they were booing Cena and Reigns, when they were baby faces, was it with this vehemence that they just, because this is a completely smart crowd and they just despise Cody at this point. 
Yeah, I think that's the big difference is that this is a smart crowd as opposed to a crowd where you had the dynamic of either smart fans or just mature fans booing Cena and children and women cheering Cena. You don't really have that breakdown of the audience fabric here with Cody. The breakdown of the audience fabric. So FTR and Tully got in and hugged Andre and held Cody. So Andre give him a big boot and get some heat on Cody. Cash's punches looked good. He wasn't just windmilling Cody's right pectoral. And then Arn and Tully faced off. Because Arn gets in like, hey, what the fuck? And he and Tully start jawing. And I'm thinking, well, let's see something here. And then here comes the Lucha Brothers. And Tully bailed out. We didn't get to see anything with Tully and Arn. And now, again, the Lucha Brothers and FTR is what we've got coming up. So now it's the Lucha Brothers and FTR in a four-way in the ring. And one of the Lucha Brothers and Dax got so discombobulated, they tried the same thing three times, and the Lucha Brother apparently couldn't get it. And I, I asked at this point, I wrote myself a note, why do FTR have luchadors hung around their necks like anchors? The complete diametric opposite style of pro wrestling of what FTR is, and they've got to work with them. And then Dax had to stand there for a double super kick, but fortunately one guy completely missed and went three feet behind his head. And Cash ended up pulling Dax out and the heels whimpered off. So what fucking angle did this whole mess intend to promote to begin with? Or how many, I should say? Because by the time it was over with, are we still promoting Cody? Is he bad at Malachi? Was Andre part of this? FTR mad at Cody? Lucha Brothers mad at FTR? Who the What the fuck's going on here? Yeah, who's Pac mad at now? He was involved with his last week, and now he's not there this week. Pac's mad at the Lucha Brothers because they don't talk to him anymore. Oh, I thought he was mad at someone else. Um, I, I just made that up because they were the death triangle, but now they don't associate. Maybe they, maybe he farted in the car. They don't want to ride with him anymore. I don't, I don't know. But poor FTR. There's two Lucha teams in the company, and they had to fucking stand there and be made to look bad by both of them in the same television program. And all the heat that they got by fucking Cody was dissipated by getting run off by a sloppy comeback by the Lucha Brothers. If Cody Rhodes can get past the fact that everyone doesn't want to watch him jerk off in the mirror, he could be the best heel in the entire wrestling business right now. Everything is set up for it. Everything. The fans already hate him and they want to hate him more. They want to hate his wife. They want to reject him. If they're going to keep fighting this, I don't think it makes much sense at all. And I'd give it, I'd give it to you what you said earlier. I agree with you what you said earlier. Cody does have intensity in these matches. And yeah. his matches do have a lot of the elements I like. Now, Cody does a lot of stupid shit because he doesn't have instincts. Like a lot of stuff like he has to do that move where he runs to the top rope away from his opponent and dives yes. backwards to catch them. I mean. And, th and they enough. dive into it. Yeah, enough. Enough of that. Just show some intensity. I think Cody looked great getting his ass kicked by FTR, like his facial expressions. All that stuff is the stuff he does well. The only thing he doesn't do well is book himself and realize how people see him. The more and more you see that entrance that goes on forever with the, oh, <laughs> why? 
No one's asking for that. No one wants that. Other than Cody, is there anyone who thinks that's an effective or an appropriate entrance for Cody Rhodes? No. So they're going to play this for a while. They're going to fight the heel turn. I have to think it's Cody fighting the heel turn more than Tony Khan. Tony Khan, I think, would want Cody Rhodes as a heel right now. He would get tire cut and heat. Mm-hmm. You've you've never been a heel unless the fans have sliced the tires on your car. And to, it, it, Cody Rhodes, even in 2021, could get tire cut and heat. And it would be a lot easier because everyone could recognize that bus in the parking lot. It wouldn't be like, <laughs> which car is Cody's? It would be like, oh, it's that yeah. big, obnoxious bus. Let's get it. And here's another thing that they used to like to do down in Louisiana. They would take glue and shoot it in all your car door locks. <laughs> That's brilliant. And then, and then they'd take <laughs> lipstick and they would color your all your fucking headlights and taillights and everything over so you couldn't see when you were driving down the road. Anyway. <laughs> so next, Tony Schiavone was in the ring, an in-ring interview with Little Brutus. And apparently on Friday's Rampage, and I did not watch this part, I watched the good part, but not this part, Little Brutus of the Dork Order was going to go one-on-one with Adam Cole. But Brutus said, no, it's going to be him versus Budge, and kept calling Adam Cole Budge. He should change his name to Budge. And it's some joke from the Hardly Boys' YouTube show, comedy show that nobody watches that they're carrying over to this. But so now Adam Cole is being mocked and having his name changed by a five foot two job guy that looks like one of the great midget wrestlers in history and is going to be wrestling competitive matches against him on the Friday show. So this was borderline cable access show level quality here. And then we got to our main event of the evening. The tournament for the, I don't know if they've said it's tournament for the number one contender, but the winner of the tournament gets a title shot, right, in the future. And this was the tournament that we mentioned, had an eight-guy tournament with six baby faces and two heels, and one of the heels was a dork order job guy that Moxley beat in a minute or whatever. Right, and we did think Moxley was going to turn heel at the end of this. Well, yes, because it looked, It looked like that. So now they had to get somebody else in to take his place, and Punk covered his loophole with why he couldn't do it. So Miro is in it because he threatened God over the issue. And it's Miro against Pockets. I've mentioned this before. I'm not going to dwell on it. But Jesus H. Christ, You've got a tournament for someone to get a a shot at your world championship, and the fact that you put the company mascot in it to begin with just killed all the credibility of it, much less sending him to the second round, where now he went, I thought if this is a minute, it's okay, but they booked it as the main event of the TV program, and it went nearly 10 minutes. So I wasn't going to you know, dignify this clown as an actual wrestler by sitting and watching and critiquing this like a match. But Miro won, obviously, but way too competitive against a joke for Miro's current push, for what's on the line, and giving people a substitution already. And you're going to just tell them we lost pockets. He broke loose from his leash. He ran off. 
We can't find him. But it was the right result, but it was Miro against Pockets on national television. So your thoughts? Right result. I really like Miro. He's one of my favorite guys in that company. Orange Cassidy's a joke. I've seen his entire act, so even if I liked it, I've seen enough of it. I will say briefly, the other day I was saying something to my 12-year-old daughter, and she gave me the Orange Cassidy thumbs up. <laughs> and I immediately started giving her the Inquisition. Where did you see that? What made you do that? Like, like she came home with drugs. Why did you do that? And she said, I'm just, I'm just being lazy. I said, I understand that. But is anyone doing that at school? Is this something that you've seen other people do? There's a wrestler who does this. She had no idea. I thought she was like, it was taking off. People were copying Orange Cassidy. No. You she know was- what people have been doing a thumbs up for years well, the lazy thumbs up the lazy, the lazy thumbs, thumbs up. up that's probably just because she didn't really care enough to listen to what you were telling her well unfortunately that may be true but anyway that was the program and we're gonna bonus the program with an extra review because i've teased at the top of the program that something actually put me in a good mood i saw something that i liked and that was on the Friday night no power hour from AEW Rampage on November the 5th. I didn't watch the whole program because, I mean, let's face it, they've they've kind of given up apparently on Fridays. Um, the things that they've been putting on that, no wonder the viewership has dropped in half since Punk's debut because they keep making Friday their version of, you know, was WWE main event or whatever. Just, yeah, here's some shit. But we actually got a a jewel in the middle of the cow pie this week. Uh, and by, by the way, we didn't mention what what were the ratings. You said something about you knew the ratings earlier. What were the ratings for Wednesday night? Uh, hold on. Let me pull them up here. So Wednesday did the lowest that it has done since July 7th. Ouch. 878,000 viewers or .33 in the key demo. Well, that's still better than Friday night's been doing because last week, Friday night was down to 500 and something period, right? Well, yeah, but can I ask you a question about the ratings real quick? And that is, if we look back at the last couple months, September 22nd, it did 1.2, almost 1.3. September 29th, it did 1.15. October 6th, they did a million. And then they had the Saturdays. 727,000, 575,000, back to Wednesdays, 941, now 878. Do you think there's people that they lost when they went to Saturday and didn't come back? Do you think this is because of the Ghostbusters on TV last week? Is there anything that you could point to that the numbers haven't recovered since they went back to Wednesday nights? Well, it sometimes, in all honesty, when a TV show changes, especially a wrestling show, changes time slots, that's one of the first things I learned when I got into business, or even before I was in the business, from Christine Jarrett. Wrestling fans are creatures of habit. Anytime your TV is changed, the most dedicated ones will find it, but you'll still lose some people. However, after a week or two of it being restored to its normal time slot that usually rectified itself down through history because people would be looking at that time and date, you know, every week for their wrestling program. So they came back to a stronger number than from Saturdays than they got the second week they were back off of Saturdays. So it's going in the wrong direction. It started out higher, it's going lower. 
So that doesn't make sense with we lost people because we switched to Saturday. What I think they lost people on was for every segment that they do that were like the one we're about to talk about that would have fit on any wrestling program anywhere at any time period and been good you got the ghostbusters and you got the guy with the hands in his pockets and you got the stupid comedy and you've got the people that don't believe what they're saying and you can tell and you got all that other stuff and you know it's hard to if they loaded up on this great new talent and every segment was rocking and every segment was hitting on all cylinders and more people were starting to watch the program because they're saying, Hey, this shit's great. That would be cause for celebration, but they get eyeballs on a big debut or a big hot shot of something. And those eyeballs don't stay because those people who are not drinking the Kool-Aid and not predisposed to love AEW with every fiber of their being. They're the ones that come in for the big thing. They see the other shit that looks like kids playing and they don't come back. And they've been bumping their head on the same type of number, give or take, since they started because there is a base audience for comedy wrestling and the other people want to be fucking impressed. If they had a two-hour show that was as good as the segment between CM Punk and Eddie Kingston was on their Friday night show every week, they would be beating Raw and SmackDown. Because I have not seen anything on a wrestling program that reminded me so much of professional wrestling in years. It was a simple deal. Punk said, I'm coming to accept Eddie Kingston's apology for disrespecting me. Well, Eddie Kingston probably don't want to apologize. So I wonder what's going to happen. We got to find out. And they fucking pulled it off. They bring Punk out before the break. And then after the break, he jokes about how he's got to stand in the ring for three and a half minutes. Just to, again, everybody knows he's been doing that. The viewers at home, it's a way of just saying a little throwaway line that said, well, he's telling the truth. He's not bullshitting. And then he invites Eddie Kingston out to my ring. And they play the music, but then it stops. And then there's the awkward moment. Well, maybe he's not here. Maybe he just likes to interrupt me. And then here comes Kingston down with no music and pissed face. And he gets in and starts mocking Punk, and he's immediately confrontational. And this was great on both guys' parts. I wrote, this is an argument. I started smiling when I was watching this. It reminded me of a wrestling program. It sounded real. Nobody wrote this shit for those guys. They were saying shit that they came up with that it sounded like they were mostly coming up with off the top of their head. They referenced enough names that people know. They've had a history. They've had a backstory. They started in Ring of Honor. This is a smart crowd, so everything registered. Eddie got the people chanting for him as a babyface because he was so indignant, and he carried it off the way that he does. And then Punk was not over the top like Eddie and screaming, but he talked like punk and said, Hey, I wasn't the only one that judged you, Eddie. We all judged you, Joe and homicide and blah, blah, blah. And you fell short 
You had all the talent in the world, but you're a bum. And then again, all Kingston has to do is answer what's been said. I'm not a bum. Nobody wanted you here in this company. And he's rallying the people by it. It was fucking great. And then Eddie does the challenge for full gear. Punk said, well, why don't we do it, you know, where you belong, like on elevation or dark? <laughs> that was a great line. I swear to God, I used to it, I used to give a videotape of an argument between Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Valiant on live Memphis TV that they had in 1979 that was completely off the cuff. And, yeah, I mean, they didn't write shit back then. They just said, we're going to have an argument. And it was so fucking good. And one of the things that it was a reason for Valiant to turn heel that day, but one of the things that was said was that Valiant wanted to get in on the main event that Lawler and Dundee were booked in on Monday night in Memphis. And Lawler said, no, handsome, you're not in that match. You're in one of the preliminary matches. You know what a preliminary match is. That's where they put the preliminary wrestlers. And that's what you are. Well, that's the worst insult that you could say to anybody in the wrestling business, at least back then. So anyway, the point is I hadn't seen something this good in years of two guys arguing, having a conflict, having a difference of opinion. And finally, Punk asked the people, you want to see us fight? They say, yes, he accepts. He says, I'll see you at full gear. And as he's starting to get out, Kingston tells him, yeah, and after that match, you can go ahead and quit again and leave for another seven years. And Punk fucking headbutts him. The freestanding Ronnie Garvin headbutt. Boom. And here we go. A fight. Here come the referees. There's urgency. Here comes a fucking some more of the wrestlers from the back. This is not supposed to happen. Here's two guys, one of our, our biggest star that has just signed to this company and some other guy are getting in a fucking fight. We've got to stop this. This is not supposed to happen. A, a pull apart, a break loose. Here comes the security guys. Then Punk does a break loose and does the big dive over the backs of the referees. It's bedlam. They're pulling them apart. Their facials like they want to get at each other. Kingston's frothing at the mouth. Punk's eyes are on fire excitement it wasn't a sports entertainment fucking angle where everybody just got to emote and then somehow pull a chainsaw out of the home depot under the ring and cut somebody's leg off and beat them over the head with it two guys got in a fight because they said shit to each other that they didn't like and a bunch of people had to pull them apart and my god what's gonna happen when they fight at the pay-per-view this is wrestling. Two things they could have added, otherwise it was perfect. Number one, they needed a bell ringing. And a lot of people are going to say, well, it wasn't a match. Why would the bell be ringing? Because I, I don't care. Go back and watch any video. When people are in the ring fighting and there's people trying to pull them apart and the bell is ringing, it adds chaos. <clears throat> so more cowbell. And secondly, the only other thing that would have made it better and just a little bit more legitimate is if they had Tony Schiavone in the ring introduce Punk, Punk made his entrance, they went to the break, and they came back, and both guys were still standing there, and Schiavone would say, well, Punk, I know that you've asked Eddie Kingston to be here to apologize and let Punk say, and that's why you need to leave, Tony, because in case this gets out of hand, 
I don't want you to get hurt because you're too old. And that way he could take the microphone and do the same thing they'd done. And it's like somebody hosting the show had sanctioned him being in the ring and what he was there for. And it just adds a, a little extra subliminal layer of legitimacy. Otherwise than that, this was fucking great. And it's so simple. Go ahead. I'm just saying you can't overwrite two guys mad at each other, having an argument, getting in a fight. They did it perfect. Go ahead. This was the best angle they've had in quite a while. And it's with two of the best promos in the entire business. If there's any big complaint I can make about it, this shouldn't be on Friday night at 1020. This is a Wednesday night angle. This was a great angle that you don't bury on your B show. And I agree with you to the interviewer thing. I wouldn't use Shivani just because he's hamming it up too much. Well, I'm just no saying, matter who he's with, he's hamming it up. And I don't want that. In don't my put excrement. Don't put no. excrement up there with that mask on. No, you put Dasha in there because then you have an extra concern. because She's a woman. You want to get her out of the ring before there's any physicality. Well, there you go. But she's disappeared. She's disappeared. But this is great. Look, CM Punk is, if he's not the best promo in the business, he's right up there. Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston's another guy who, he's real. Whether he is or isn't, he seems like he is. And I know a lot of Eddie Kingston's in New York. He's a, leg <laughs> he's a legit fucking guy. And he comes across that way in these promos, the way they brought him out there. The music plays, he doesn't come out, then he storms out angry. CM Punk did that a few weeks ago. He came out without the music. For some reason, CM Punk's segments seem to be the ones that make a lot of sense. I don't know what that says. What in the world is it? What, what, what do all of CM Punk's segments have in common? Oh, CM Punk. He's thinking about this shit. He's not just going out to do bad television because somebody tells him how they want it laid out. And how good was this segment? This segment was so good that despite the fact that I love Eddie Kingston on interviews, I've said it before. He's a really strange guy to try to put your finger on what to do with him because of the way he looks and he doesn't exactly win matches or anything. I think Eddie Kingston comes out of this looking great. Problem is he never wins any matches. He better not win this one either. <laughs> uh, but you know what? The other thing is I haven't been crazy about his matches in AEW by and large. I mean, there've been a few I just really haven't liked. I really want to see him in Punk now. Yeah. You know, Darby and MJF may say that they're going to start wrestling. It's not going to start as a wild brawl. This match should. <laughs> this match right here should start yeah. these two guys slugging each other. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. And boy, and here now here's a test. Will Tony Khan have enough respect for Punk and what he's done for the program to tell all the rest of his inmates in his asylum okay, this is the wild-ass fight they're going to have, so everybody else needs to be different. Or are we going to see the same thing that they do up and down the card in everybody else's match because nobody else gives a shit about that? We shall find out. But I want to see this match now. And, I'm, and, and here's another idea. Maybe since people are now chanting for Eddie Kingston, even when he's in the ring with CM Punk, maybe when he loses to Punk, he might come back on TV the next week and get a nice win. You know, like, like it's been done since the dawn of time when you've got a baby face that falls short of accomplishing a goal because he's in a, against a top heel. You immediately bring him back on television, give him a few strong wins, make sure people don't lose faith in him. And as far as burying this on Friday night, 
you can't tell me that this coming Wednesday for the go-home show for the pay-per-view, there's anything that anybody will do for 10 minutes that was better than this segment. So don't do a package. Just roll the fucking segment in on Wednesday. You got a two-hour show. Take 10 minutes of it and say, here's what happened Friday night, folks, and we haven't censored a bit of this so that you can see exactly what kind of animosity these two men have leading up to this weekend's event. Can you imagine Wednesday nights we get 15 minutes of Jericho and Lambert yelling at each other, and then this is buried on Friday night. Both guys are the best promos in AEW, other than an MJF who's, you know, a different kind of thing. And they're buried on Friday night. Jericho had 15 minutes to do his bad comedy with Dan Lambert. Well, now, in this one, hold on, in this one, Kingston said he couldn't be wherever they were Wednesday because he was quarantined because of a COVID scare or whatever, so they covered that. That is true. Fair point. Fair point. He wasn't there. And again, you want people to watch the Friday night show. Apparently, they still do. So it's not bad that something would happen on Friday night, but then show it back on Wednesday to show all those people what they could have seen if they watched the Friday night show. And it wouldn't be little Brutus versus Adam Cole or whatever it would be. CM Punk and Eddie Kingston trying to rip each other's throats out. Well, here's another thing. Keep CM Punk off that Friday show. He's been on it way too much. I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to rotate some of these guys. They're starting to get enough names, but they, the point is, is that they are they are hot shotting debuts or big moments that do ratings, and the people don't stay. That means they're seeing something else in the program, other than what they came to see, that turns them off instead of more on. So you need to address that. And whether anybody wants to believe it or not. The, uh, the base audience that AEW has that wants and accepts comedy and parody of wrestling, they've already got all of them, and they're welcome to them. But if they want any more, the occasional few hundred thousand people or more, the occasional few hundred thousand that have already come and sampled and didn't stay, and the more that haven't come and sampled, they need to present a professional, serious product with mainstream talent. And... And they need to stop burning through everything in every program to the point where, oh, this again? They're beheading someone else? Well, they just did that three segments ago. If everything is chaos, then there is no chaos because chaos is the norm. Multiple angles on multiple on the same show do not register, and it just confuses people and runs them off. There, I've said it, and that's it. But we shall see next week what they learn. And also on the the drive-through a week from this coming Monday or Tuesday, we'll uh, we'll have that. No. Yeah, I guess it's next weekend. It's next weekend, yeah. Yes, it's next. So the the drive-through a week from now, we'll talk about full gear. And we should also say that coming, beginning with the drive-through in just a few days, this, this coming week, we're going to have a special recurring segment that we have thought up specifically because some of the fa- one of the fans sent an email and gave us the ideas. That's how we thought it up. But one of the Cult of Cornet listeners said, Jim, you and the Midnight Express left Louisiana and went to Dallas in 1985. You had been planning to go to Crockett to Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, but Watts wanted you to, to go to Dallas. If you had not gone to Dallas or 
the Carolinas, where would you and the Midnight Express have gone in 1985? And I thought that was a question that not only is that a question that's maybe kind of been asked before, we've never done an in-depth deep dive on it, but I started looking at the territories that were still in operation at that point and what our options were. And I came up with a handful that we would have taken and a number that we probably wouldn't have. And so we're going to start discussing that. It's going to be an ongoing segment for however many weeks we we do till we're finished, but we'll talk about each territory in January of 1985, the location, the style, who was booking, whether we would have wanted to work there, why or why not, how much money we might have made or guys were making at that time. So that's for the uh, the classic wrestling fans in the audience. That's going to be a recurring thing on the drive through starting with the next episode. That's right. For everyone wondering how Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express would have fit into California Championship Wrestling, you will finally find out beginning this week on the drive through Wait a minute. I've got to write down California Championship Wrestling. I forgot about that one. <laughs> were, they st- were they still around in 1985? I think they were around at least until 87. I could be wrong, but I think they were, they were definitely there in 85, I think until 87. Holy moly. What was that guy's name that did that ridiculous promo that everybody traded tape of for years it was a very low budget low class low viewership operation and some of the for the viewers out there who might not know what we're talking about and and a lot of the tape traders tra- traded some of those tapes because they were so cringeworthy anyway we probably wouldn't have gone there i'll spoil that one ahead of time but that starts <laughs> on the drive through this coming week and we had news as we uh, have been doing the program and uh, we've got to make mention of it at the close of the show. Apparently, Angelo Mosca has just passed away. Do you have some more on that, Brian, from the internet? I'm just seeing some reports coming in right now as we are recording, but Angelo King Kong Mosca, of course, a big star in Canada, but throughout the United States, he worked for various territories, has just yeah. passed away. I believe he was 84 years old. I'm looking for more information right now, but I believe he had been in ill health, I think, I may be wrong, but due to concussions, he was a football player, obviously, for many years. I yeah. believe he had some issues with dementia the last decade or so. But Angelo King Kong Mosca, you know, up until early to mid-80s, still a big star even in the States. And then, of course, Mosca Mania in Canada after WrestleMania. Yeah. Mosca Mania. Um, well, and also, and you mentioned that he was not only up there in years, but also he had played pro football and then wrestled for 20 or 30 years or whatever. So, of course, he he did have some dementia. And he was famous for, God, was it 10 years ago or maybe even a little less, there was a Canadian Football League reunion. And he and another football player had a goddamn beef from the 60s. And they both were up on stage and started jawing at each other. And Mosca was on a cane. And I guess the other, did he hit the guy first? The guy hit him back or the other guy hit him first? There was a there was an exchange of blows and Mosca tripped and fell down and his cane was underneath him and they were having to pull these I don't think he tripped and fell down. 70 something year old fucking men. What now? I don't think he tripped and fell down. I think the other guy slugged him. Well, the other guy did slug him. I don't I mean he it wasn't like it was a fucking Joe Frazier right cross, but it, it, with the elderly age of both guys, Mosca went down and and it was just, it was a sad scene because there was these two senior citizens. But Mosca was a badass. It, besides professional football, he was, what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, six, 270, 280. 
that fucking face. He looked like he looked not quite as big, but very much like Abyss, just a big guy with big hands and big feet and a big face. And obviously King Kong Mosca was, you know, uh, like you said, a star for the AWA and he was huge in Florida at one time and he had wrestled all over the country. But since he was Canadian and he was from, I think the team that he played for was, was Hamilton, right? I'm not certain. Um, I'm not up on my Canadian football football league either. But point is, the Mosca Mania shows drew like crazy because of his name. And Mosca Mania, the, the one they did, I remember, was the same day as the taping of the uh, first TBS primetime wrestling special, the Superstars on the Superstation. It was February 2nd, 1986. We were in Charlotte with the Rock and Roll Express. That was when we sold out Charlotte Coliseum with no Dusty, no Flair, no Road Warriors for the afternoon show. And then because they were all at the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton for Mosca Mania, which drew, as I recall, between ten and 12,000 people. It was a dollars gate. And Angelo Mosca was the local promoter. That's how Crockett was getting back at Tunney in Toronto for going with uh, Vince by having Angelo Mosca be his local promoter in Hamilton, Ontario, just right down the road and running these big events in Hamilton. And they did several of them and they drew well because Mosca was such a name. But, uh, you know, so I hate to hear that he's passed away, but obviously at that age and with that type of career and everything, we can't all of us live forever, but he was another one of the, a guy is an original. You don't find people like that anymore walking around and that was the kind of characters that were in the wrestling business and a great example of a guy who was a big star could do a promo he could be a heel could be a baby face was a badass and then his son got involved in the wrestling business and boy angelo mosca jr in 83 there's footage around of him trying to apply the figure four that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen yes well, there's footage of him trying to do promos where it's like that he's just hearing the English words that he's speaking for the first time and the look on his face is like a surprise that they're coming out. He was a nice kid. He just wasn't a good good wrestler or good public speaker, but he was he was a nice kid, but it, it the the uh the acorn fell a distance from the tree then rolled down the hill and was sl- swept away in the stream. All right. All right then. There you have it. Uh, but our condolences to Mosca's fans, friends, family, and, and et cetera. Again, another Hall of Famer, Angelo Mosca. Did you ever lost. see him live? Oh, God, yes. Um, I, I want to say the first time I saw him was when Crockett was running the Cincinnati Gardens. Maybe I'm misremembering when I went up as a fan before I was in the business. And then... I saw him somehow two or three times. Uh, not not often, but a couple of times. Follow up? <laughs> Follow up? <laughs> that, seemed to, that seemed to placate your curiosity. That placated my curiosity. And of course, we all send our condolences to the family and friends of Angelo King Kong Mosca, a legend in wrestling and of course in Canadian football.
All righty then, and we're going to be legends in podcasting again when we do it all over in a few days with the drive-through. I'm not even going to say a specific day with the way things are going. We never know about these things. Uh, we'll start the recurring segment on reviewing territories for suitable employment in 1985. We're going to be back with this program, The Experience, next week, hopefully on our normal day, but we will see again what happens there. And uh, have I told the people all they need to know? I believe so. That is all the people need to know. That is all the people need to know. We'll see you next time and next week. Until then, thank you. Fuck you and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo